0: So Ladies and gentlemen, this is the 411 from 406. My name is Chewy and I am joined once again by my brother from another mother, Mr. Pip. How are you, sir?
1: Ah, I
2: am in such a good mood tonight. This is, uh, it, it feels like we haven't talked in like a year and a half, which is strange.
0: It, it is, it is strange and and, and you're right. It, it has been, it's been a long time and I will have to apologize because uh, that is primarily because of my schedule that we have not been able to, to get together and, and get to this podcast that, that, quite frankly, has been on the agenda. Like, we, we knew this is what we were going to talk about next, right? This is the third in a series. We are doing a deep dive into the Star Wars sequel trilogy. Uh, we started a couple episodes ago with The Force Awakens, and then we rolled into The Last Jedi and tonight we are doing a deep dive into the Rise of Skywalker, which I am uh, really, really excited about. So is it fair to call this
2: the uh, the rubber match? Because I feel like we, is it fair to say that we both liked uh, The Force Awakens and then both sort of a little bit sour on The Last Jedi? And then this one is, is this the make or break? Is this the Matrix 3? Is this... Uh, is this the one that determines whether this whole trilogy
0: was worth it to begin with? I hope it's not the Matrix 3, but I think that's <laughs> a, I think I, but I think that's yeah, I think I think that's a pretty good analogy, right? I mean, we've got we've got one movie that I that I guess would be a thumbs up and one that would be a, a thumbs down and yeah, I mean I I, now I I don't know that that this third movie is going to make or break the entire trilogy for me. We'll, we'll certainly get into that but yeah I, th- I think I, I'm really interested in this conversation in this discussion because you know you and I have certainly talked about this movie since it came out but I don't know that we've ever sat down and really really gotten into the goods the bads and the uglies of which they are all there are all three in this movie so I'm uh, I'm pumped to have this conversation
2: yeah I'm super psyched this is uh, been it, it's been a long time coming and to your point, I, I'm not sure that we've ever, I mean, we've had casual conversations about this, but to have a really good deep dive, I think it's going to be interesting because, you know, we were pretty, it's fair to say we were pretty critical of the last movie, The Last Jedi. And it will be interesting to see how we both treat this movie because I think, you know, not to play my hand a little too quickly, but I think this, this movie is immensely flawed. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's not great about this movie, but for some reason, before I get to the end of it, I'm forgiving a lot of the flaws. I'm 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 letting a lot of this stuff slide because I find myself, for the most part, having a really good time. Like I, I don't think it's a great movie. I think there's just like the Last Jedi. I think the uh, Pee Wee's Word of the Day was contrivances. We said that word a whole lot, but uh, you know, and there's going to be a lot of that here. But for some reason, I don't know if it's the spirit that JJ brings to this, or or what it is. But I I just find myself enjoying the ride, no matter kind of where they take us
0: yeah i i would agree with that i think if there's another word if contrivances was one of the words of the day for that movie the other move the other word is boring and that is that that word doesn't come up in my mind for this movie i think that's part of the difference there's just not you know the the canto bite scene in the middle of it Mm -hmm. it just makes zero sense there's a lot that doesn't make sense but there's not there's not a, a really boring scene. I mean, remember, that, you know, the Last Jedi really revolved around the bad guys waiting for the good guys to literally run out of gas. And right. there's and there's nothing and there's nothing. Even though there's some contrivances here, there's nothing quite that boring.
2: So well, you're you're hitting it right on the head right out of the gate here. This, there's no room to be boring because this movie, which clocks in at about two hours and twenty two minutes, is incredibly fast paced, and they still and they have a lot of things crammed in here. A lot of it which you know, arguably could have been cut. But, you know, they don't give you a chance to really just sit around and wonder where this is going because they are hopping from planet to planet, MacGuffin to MacGuffin the whole time. There's a lot going on in this film.
0: Yeah, and you know, and, and I don't know if that is, well, I mean, it has to be. It's, it's, it's J.J. coming back into the franchise and trying to fix what Ryan Johnson did, again, in his eyes, you know, we, we had a long discussion about whether or not we agreed with what Ryan Johnson did and the chances he took, it took, and those kind of things. I think it's probably fair to say though, that, that JJ is here trying, trying to get this trilogy across the finish line and trying to, again, fix what he thinks Ryan broke again, which, which some of the, you know, we're going to talk about how um, successful he, he was at that. Um, I think, there are pieces, parts here that I think he was really, really successful at. There's a couple scenes here that I mean, there's two scenes here in particular that I can think of that I get goosebumps every single time I watch them. And then there's some stuff where you're just kind of shaking your head, you know, as we as we get into it. And again, if you're if you're if you're just now joining uh, this particular retrospective series, I would I would urge you to go back and, and listen to the first two episodes. Uh, I have to give huge major thanks and props to Pip. He kind of goes through and he comes up with the format of these shows and then I get to kind of react like the meathead that I am. So, so thank you in advance again. But what, one thing I will say just at the top here is one of, the, one of the things that I think we were both pretty critical of in The Last Jedi is some of the comedy that was in there really took us out of the film. And, and there's really not much of that here. The, at least that I can remember. There might be one scene um, and one character in particular, but it wasn't the funny ha ha where you're sitting and looking in the theater, going, "Well, what just what just happened?" There's no mom jokes here, like there was in the Last Jedi, which is which is a marketed improvement in my eyes. Are do you would you like to kind of walk? How do you want to do this? You want to walk us through a plot, or you just kind of kind of launch in the way you've done in in previous episodes?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, let's go ahead and get started then. So we'll kick things off with a scroll, which is how all the Star Wars movies start, and this will be our last scroll that we uh, that we review. Uh, but we see right away that Emperor Palpatine is back, and he's looking to exact revenge. Kylo is is hunting him down for some reason, which is a you know a theme of the Sith you know to be threatened by their own power. So our first shot is going to be of Kylo laying waste to a bunch of creatures on a red lava planet that we will learn only, I believe, in the novelization, that this is actually the planet Mustafar, uh, which is the former home of Darth Vader, previously seen in both Revenge of the Sith and Rogue One. And I thought that was really interesting that they started here, and there's an entire subplot that's completely abandoned. If you either read the book or you, I believe it, it is explained to some degree on some of the behind-the-scenes featurettes, I have to think that it's only for time, which makes good sense again, because this is a two and a half hour movie. Uh, but we get right to the point after some slow motion action where we see Kylo retrieve one of the many MacGuffins in this movie, which is the Sith Wayfinder. And, and immediately uh, you know, out of the gate, I think we're all a little confused because I don't know what this is. I don't know what this does. And they're not really telling us anything right away. It just seems to be something that he's after. And it, it seems to be a different focus from what we've seen previously.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is the the best analogy that I can give here is this is the spark. This is the matrix from the the Michael Bay Transformers movies, right? It's like this thing that we've never heard of. It has never been, for lack of a better term, canon in anything we've ever heard of, at least up till this point, maybe now, I don't know. And yeah, even even then it was eh, okay. that's that's kind of weird. And you know, as as you sit down and you watch a movie in your mid forties, you know immediately kind of what this is, right? This is the MacGuffin. Uh, this is what we're gonna kind of be chasing after, and this is what's gonna move the plot forward. I will say that as I watched it on opening night specifically, I recognized that that's what it was. But I was willing, to, I was willing to give it a pass because, a, I wasn't super thrilled with the way The Last Jedi ended. And B, this this opening scene was really kind of cool, right? Just this is just a really, it's showing the badass version of Kylo Ren, which I really like.
2: Absolutely, and and it sort of continues a theme that I think has been the most consistent through this entire franchise, which is it's gorgeous. It looks really cool. It's very visually appealing. The cinematography is really really cool, and it, it carries on into this next scene where Kylo steers his fighter through this crazy looking cosmic storm to find his way to a very dark and stormy planet that we're going to learn is called exegol and we waste no time here reintroducing emperor palpatine back into the trilogy and I, you know i don't know where how you feel about this i know that this was a very polarizing idea for this movie but i, I loved it i mean it, it, there's virtually no context behind his return and i'm sure that's just fodder for extended universe or or i guess it's not called extended universe but you know other stories at this point they'll they'll rewrite some of the history which i don't know if they've done to this point i don't know if they've re-canonized what happened with the emperor and why he came back but i honestly i should not forgive the movie for this but i do just because i think that the emperor is one of my favorite characters ever, which I'm pretty sure was in a previous podcast that we did. But I just love the fact that, back, that he was back and I, I didn't care. It didn't bother me that we don't know why
0: or how. No, I, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. And I, and I think it's probably because we are the age that we are and we have the connection to the original trilogy that we do yes. that we were so excited to see this version of Palpatine on the screen. Um, I don't know that we've ever talked about it. I I wasn't a huge fan of Senator Palpatine in the prequels, but I I was always a big fan of Emperor Palpatine. And again, it's the same character. And I think that's probably partially to do with the fact that, you know, I I grew up with the original trilogy. Emperor Palpatine was always the big bad in in Return of, you know, he was obviously in Star Wars and Empire. And then, you know, we saw him really in, in Jedi. No, I, I was not unhappy at all. I loved, loved, loved the way he was introduced here. The, the look of, of him, it's, it is very, um, there's, there's lightning. It, it was very reminiscent of the way Kylo Ren was introduced in the original film. It's almost got kind of a horror vibe to it, actually even more of a horror vibe than, than that one did. He's got, he's got around his eyes. He's got a lot of black around his eyes. It's, it's very, it's almost, if you've ever seen when they reintroduced Michael Myers in the newest Halloween movie, it's, it's, it's flashes and it's cuts. And you're seeing just bits and pieces of his face clearly know who it is very quickly, but it is a, it is a scary version of Emperor Palpatine. And if you're going to, if you're going to bring a character back timeline wise, 30 years later, you know, you really kind of need to up that ante of, oh shit, this is a really, really badass. And I think, and I think they did that when they introduced him, even though you really didn't even see him, right? You didn't realize that he was, you know, later on in the movie, you will learn that he is kind of a, held together by some machinery and an arm, he's not really walking and those kind of things but that doesn't matter when, when you first introduce him here he is he is the big bad that quite frankly we've been waiting for for this entire trilogy we didn't get it with snoke we really haven't had it with kylo ren this is the big bad that we've been waiting for
2: yeah i totally agree and i realize and recognize that i am a flaming hypocrite for getting behind this and liking this because it is also A very terrible contrivance, the way that they do it, right? Like they could have done it a little bit better. They could have given it more context, more explanation. I don't think they had time to do it based off of everything else they want to cram in this film. But, you know, it's it's not good storytelling by any means, but I just didn't care because I just felt like I was back in the seat for the last time and I was just really enjoying it. And probably again, because they're catering to my fanboy desires, which is to spend more time with the characters from the original trilogy. I'm engaged. I'm, at this point, I'm, I'm going with whatever they're gonna give us, so. Yep, Agreed. We, we learn that Palpatine actually made Snoke, right? So, so we, we see, if we look in the background of when Kylo's kind of working his way to the Emperor, we see some of these like back to tank looking things. They're, they must be some sort of cloning facilities and we see old decrepit versions of Snoke in there, if you look close enough. So it's, it's really interesting. We get a total geek out moment where we hear some new dialogue from James Earl Jones for a half a second uh, as, as Darth Vader, uh, which is really neat. But as part of this, Palpatine offers Kylo a new empire and out of nowhere raises a, a huge fleet of planet killing Star Destroyers from the clouds or from the ground or something. And, you know, he says the the fleet will soon be ready, but I'm not exactly sure what we're waiting on. Like that part was a little bit. It seemed like a, 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 a contrived way to just put a doomsday clock in the background to give us a timer to give us something to care about. Now, I've got have I won't call it a theory, but I've got an alternate sort of ending to this movie that I want to present to you. when all of this is over because I've got some ideas that I think would have tightened this up a little bit better but for some reason they're just like oh yeah in x number of hours we're going to have our fleet ready and we're going to we're going to bust them out of here but we're going to have to wait a little while to get the good guys a chance to assemble their forces
0: yeah the, the, the uh, i could not wrap my head around the, the timing of any of this right the, the last movie we we've got an entire movie which presumably takes place in about 8 hours and now we've got a, a fleet full of like fully functioning spaceships and the entire fleet of captains and generals and whatever that are like ready, but what have just been hanging out for like 30 something year. I it just, yeah. it makes, it makes zero sense.
1: It's weird um, and it's not it,
2: good. It's not, no. it, it's, I get that they're trying to build up this, you know, the bad guys are, are completely overwhelming with their numbers and their artillery and all this thing, you know, this this sort of motif. But I I don't know. It just doesn't make no, any sense at I,
0: yeah. all. And again, and I get that, but it's like, why would this big badass army just be kind of waiting around for 30 years? It literally makes no sense.
2: Right. Zero. Especially when every single one of them has a planet killing weapon. And there's right, an right. unlimited, like, I, I feel like if you take three of them out there, you'll be fine, right? Like, you don't need 9,000 of these things. You just right. need, like, three or four. And you can go kick a lot of ass. But right. nevertheless, uh, that's that's kind of what we have here. So Palpatine tells Ren that uh, Ray is not who you think she is, which will be the first of many attempts to sort of retcon a lot of the Ryan Johnson storytelling, right? Because... We're gonna we're gonna touch on this a lot, I think, through this podcast. But Ryan Johnson spent some time kind of trying to retell some of the things that JJ did in Force Awakens, and then JJ is gonna come in and sort of go back and, and retcon and retell some of the stuff that Ryan Johnson did. And and this is just kind of step one of that, because obviously the big uh, conversation piece around Force Awakens. Is who were raised parents, and I think Ryan Johnson did a lot in the second movie to say it doesn't matter. We don't care now. JJ's back, and he says, "Oh yeah, no, actually, we do care, uh, but it's not our parents that we care about."
0: Real, real quick, before we move on, we mentioned Snoke is a clone, and we've talked. You know, we, we're we're going to talk about Rey at this point of the movie. Were you were you thinking this is Palpatine? Or is this a clone of Palpatine? Is it like Bob Palpatine, his brother? Like, is this this the character that we know? I I wasn't sure.
2: I I thought no. I thought that it was not because I didn't really feel like there was any plausible storytelling device that could convince us that he survived what happened in Return of the Jedi. So I assumed it had to be a clone. I didn't know Mm -hmm. how or what you know who made him i don't know how and when they had a cloning facility available to them okay. i don't know what the cloning science is in the star wars universe like do they have to have a strand of his hair for dna or something weird like that cuz clearly they didn't <laughs> that wasn't a thing so i don't know how i'm sure they'll come back and tell us the story through uh, some graphic novels or or maybe a tv show at some point but yeah i think i knew to- we were dealing with a clone but i didn't know they haven't really expanded on how the science behind all that is supposed to work right like so if this is a clone of somebody's physical dna then how does he have the force or how does that work does it is it a chlorine thing right that was a big new thing that was unveiled in the first trilogy that that sort of got mentioned in this trilogy but they didn't really go too far into it i think it was brought up in maybe one of the and force awakens or something i don't know but yeah so i i think i knew that but i didn't we didn't have time to think about it. They didn't give me any opportunity because right. we fly right back into the storyline that now involves our uh, our heroes from the earlier movies, and the Millennium Falcon is screaming through hyperspace on her way, uh, according to the scroll, to get some intelligence, which seems a little weird. And there's going to be a lot of holes to poke in this, but we get <laughs> we get some great visuals on on this ice planet structure again, like so gorgeous. Like this movie is so much fun to look at. And some really fun space battles where we see Poe and Finn you know, together again. And they, there's this buddy vibe that I feel like really not only uh, is reminiscent of The Force Awakens, but it really builds on that relationship, which is cool. And I'm, I'm really starting to love it at this point, seeing these characters you know, back in this adventure. But you know, I've got to say one thing that I'm not a fan of is, is the story idea here, where you know, why exactly do we have to fly to a planet? and run a physical cable to transfer a message other than to create an excuse for a really fun space battle. Like I, you know, I guess I don't care because it's fun and it looks really good, but is this stupid? Like, could did we not have cell phones? Did we not have an ability to transfer a message? Like what was the physical message that had to be transferred here?
0: This is remarkably stupid. <laughs> yes, okay, I cool. mean, it's just-
1: it, I'm yes, glad you remar- said this. Yes.
0: Yeah, it's it's, it, yes, it is the epitome of contrived Yes, I, I'm not going to bother to belabor the point. It's remarkably stupid, yes.
2: Again, I'm, I'm, I'm
0: leaning towards not
2: caring just because they're flying through the air. We're having so much fun. The Millennium Falcon continues to be the unsung hero of this entire franchise because it's just great to see it back. But at this point, we're introduced into another new theory in space travel, which I think is really interesting, light speed skipping. And again, uh, I'm not really sure of the point, but it's really cool to watch. And the Tie Fighters, which now apparently have light speed capabilities, is that a new thing?
0: Has that been introduced to this point? That is that Are, is one hundred one hundred percent a new thing. Yeah.
2: Okay. They're light speed skipping with the Falcon, which I can only assume means they're tracking the Falcon via light speed skipping, right? Because how else would they do that? Which that was established in the previous movie. Uh, but then Rey is, you know, she's doing some training in the forest with Leia. So we kind of cut back to a very Return of the Jedi kind of vibe where she's floating around and and she's trying to hone her skills and trying to make contact with the Jedi that came for her. And, you know, not to jump too far ahead, but, you know, I'm wondering, like, do we really need this? Like would it have been too much of a problem to just have it be about her trying to contact Luke and try to figure out how to deal with Kylo? Like why is she trying to summon the entire Jedi family for lack of a better term i mean it makes for a fun moment at the end of the movie i think that's really maybe what that's, it does. It just sets yeah. up the, the finale right but i, I, I just that, don't know if yeah. i get it like why is she doing this at this point
0: yeah i, I think it's twofold i think one is yes it's 100 percent for the for the end spoiler alert they all show up at the end <laughs> but but and i and I th- i'm guessing too this is probably some of the only relevant footage that they had of carrie fisher and so they're like oh well if we're going to we're going to kind of try to pigeonhole her in i'm guessing i don't know i would agree you could probably cut most of this leia stuff out of here again i think i in the last episode i said i i would have taken the opportunity to kill that character leia then i know that you were a big fan of seeing her and luke together as was i but yeah, m- most of the Leia stuff here, I can I can kind of do without, with the exception of the, the one scene later with her and Luke, which I think is a flash, a CGI flashback, which mm-hmm. I think is very well done. But but most of the Ray stuff here, yeah, I could I could kind of do without.
2: Yeah, so we didn't really touch on that before we started. But the big question going into this movie was how were they going to handle the untimely death of Carrie Fisher? aka Princess Leia because they did not kill her character in The Last Jedi but obviously the actress could not be here to reprise her role so what were they going to do and that was a really interesting question and you know we can I, I suppose we can get to it at some point but I will say that I, th- I think the decision to not do a completely CGI character was a smart one you know they they did that with Tarkin and they did that with Princess Leia in Rogue One, but they did it very uh, liberally, I guess I should say. Like they didn't overdo it, which was good. And there wasn't a way to not overdo it with what they decided to do with her character in this movie. But I will say that I think they did a really good job with what they had. They took a lot of footage that was deleted or uh, eventually not used from The Force Awakens and they repurposed it and sort of wrote some of this beginning storyline around the dialogue that they had from her in the first movie. And while some of it may be a little bit clunky, if you were going to have these same scenes, but actually have Carrie Fisher alive to do them, the dialogue would be much different and it would be much better. But for what they did, I thought it was good. And I thought it was, you know, when we get to the point where she does die in this movie, it, it was really impressive that they got her that far and, and gave her that treatment. And it, it didn't feel, it didn't feel too forced for, you know, I didn't think so. I thought that they did a pretty good job with that without trying to get too far ahead of us.
0: No, I, I I would agree with that for, for what they had to work with, which wasn't much and was, you know, reshoots or cutting room floor stuff from, from a previous movie. If you didn't know that you might not know that, that, you know what I mean? Like that. Those scenes weren't a part of this movie. If you didn't know the backstory of Carrie Fisher, you may not know that she wasn't there as, as you know as this movie was being shot. Which is which is really the best compliment that I can give. I, I think that's a yeah. long way of saying I, I'm agreeing with with what you're saying. I think they did a very a beyond admirable job of cutting together footage and and creating this character and this this subplot. For this movie, based on previous stuff, which presumably was not even was never going to be Princess Leia's journey, right? Presumably, if if Ryan Johnson had any sort of an idea or JJ or whatever, I don't think it would have been this.
2: I don't think it was going to be her journey, but I do think this was going to be her movie because for whatever reason, and and I don't agree with this on any level. But when JJ was originally brought in, my understanding is that he sort of pitched this as that each character from the original trilogy would have their own movie essentially. So Force Awakens was clearly Han's movie. And that was JJ's vision there. The second movie was supposed to be about Luke Skywalker, which is kind of what Ryan Johnson continued. And then the third movie was supposed to be about Leia. I personally don't agree with that. Like that lineup doesn't make sense to me. I think it's fine if you want to have Han come back to that first movie and then kill him. That's cool. But Star Wars has always been about Luke Skywalker for me. And i if you're going to give each person their own movie, I think it should have ended with Luke and not. Absol- that absolutely. that should not have been the middle. That shouldn't have not have been chapter two. That doesn't make any sense to me.
0: I, I agree. Yeah, the, the Star Wars saga, and we'll call it the Skywalker saga. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's Luke's story. Always, always has been, always will be in my eyes. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah.
2: So that was a miss, but so Kylo somehow interrupts her training, Ray's training and reintroduces the flashbacks of her being left back on Jakku. So, you know, right away, we're going to go back and revisit that mythology that JJ created earlier. And Ray decides to give Luke's lightsaber, which I guess is fixed. Did we not get any, uh, I don't know where we got some super Jedi glue uh, that she, she apparently (laughs) repaired it, but she didn't think she earned it. So she gave it back to Leia. And then we see a quick cameo by the sacred Jedi texts, which appear to be explaining the Wayfinder. That's our exposition there uh, when the Falcon returns. And we see a heated exchange between Ray and Poe uh, with the point of friction seemingly that she's training to be a Jedi while her friends are out fighting. And the message from the First Order spy confirms that somehow Palpatine returns, which honestly, that that's it's just. Oh, it's really bad that the, that they had to go through all that just to find out that Palpatine returns.
1: It, well,
0: it is. It's really bad, and and I don't remember how. What what's the time frame between the Last Jedi and this movie? Do do the, do we know? Is it is it years?
2: No, okay. I don't. I don't think so. It. Um, I don't know exactly. That's a great question. I should have. Well, looked that and up. I
0: guess I guess the reason I ask is. You know, so at the in between the first two movies, it's like literally minutes, right? It just kind of just picks yes. up. Mm-hmm. But if you were if you remember at the end of the Last Jedi, there's like seven rebels left. There's 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 yeah. none of them. They're all in the Falcon.
2: <laughs> I have to think literally. it's maybe a matter of months. Uh, okay. Maybe a month. Okay. Maybe a couple months because they've had a chance to regroup somehow and 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 grow their numbers yeah. a little bit. Uh,
0: I guess, I guess my, my point and, and, and we touched on it earlier. It's like, if there's literally seven, 10, 12, whatever, 25, whatever it is, enough people that can fit in the Falcon. That's, that's the, the, mm-hmm. that is the whole of the resistance at the end of that movie. Do we really need 9,000 planet killing ships to kill 25 rev? I just, it just, I mean, talk about overkill. It's ridiculous.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, it's like uh Killing a fly with a bazooka.
0: Well, it is, right? I mean, it's, it's literally like Kylo at the end of of The Last Jedi. More, 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 you know. <laughs>
2: right. Like, Unload you know, every gun you have on that one guy down
0: there. Right, right. So anyway, sorry.
2: No, it's, I agree 100%. I think there's a lot of really bad storytelling here that, that just exists to push everything forward. But that's what we must do. So we get our first cameo by... Dominic Monaghan, who is uh, more known for uh, Lost and Lord of the Rings. And he drops the line that dark science and cloning is the explanation behind the Emperor's return, which is which is the only thing we're going to get. You know, that's that's, I think, the only way that we know that the Emperor was a clone. It's a dropped line. And, you know, as much as I would like to go more into why that's a thing. And I feel like they could have spent that time there if they would have cut a bunch of the crap out. That's not what we get in this movie. So we just kind of have to kind of move on. And then Ray determines that finding Exegol, which Luke had apparently been trying to do previously is the next move so that our heroes can decide to take this journey together to get to the deserts of Pasana, which apparently is not Tatooine or Jakku, but we will get back to a desert planet, which is where uh, Luke's trail went cold. So we'll, we'll talk more about that a little bit. And then we see a, a cameo from Rose. She makes one of her five second cameos and, and Finn pats her on the back in a very non-romantic fashion after they uh, pseudo made out and uh, on crate in the last movie. <laughs> I mean, there was, you know, there was an enormous amount of backlash on Rose in the Last Jedi, and and I'll admit, like I was part of that, not in in sort of the the <laughs> didn't have anything to do with some of the the really inappropriate feedback that she received from a lot of the internet nerds out there, but. You know, she's basically, this trilogy's Jar Jar, I think, is is a possible way to look at it. And I'm, I'm you know, what are your thoughts on them deciding to sideline her for this movie? Um, do you care? Do you have a problem with it? Do you think they should have redeemed her? Or do you think that that's probably the best thing that they should have done in this case?
0: Well, you know what? I think it's a little bit of all three, actually. I agree with you. I did not like the Rose character at all. I thought it was a silly character. I thought the way she was treated and the way they did this quote relationship with her and Finn, I didn't care for at all. These are movies that that, that directors make, and and we as fans don't always get to agree with the with the position that they take. But to to start an internet and internet movement to to you know, get rid of a movie in my mind is just is it's laughable. It's ridiculous. Right. And 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 no actor or actress deserves that kind of hate that that character got. And so I guess because of that, I was sort of hoping that that JJ would have given the middle finger to the fans and like made her the main character of the movie. You know what I mean? Just like like, fuck you. Like this. This is what I'm going to do now. Who knows? Maybe he was going to and she didn't want that maybe you know probably not but you know I mean I, I guess in the end I was okay with with Rose being kind of a side character. I do think it was a little bit weird that we that we got this they were clearly building towards a relationship between Finn and Rose and they never paid it off like it just kind of fizzled so I think that's that that made for a little bit of a disjointed, storytelling experience but there's a lot of that in this movie so um, yeah.
1: yeah I agree
2: I think that Kelly Marie Tran is a, a good actress she's a fine actress she's um, she did one of the uh, voice roles for the uh, Ryan the Last Dragon and she was really good in that
0: it was that's I, a great movie by the way yeah I really enjoyed it yeah. yeah
2: that's super good I really really like that movie too I've watched it about 17 times with both of my children and I think that she was the victim of a lot of really inappropriate commentary based off of her nationality and her her physical appearance and things like that. And it was just really sad and really stupid. But, at the, but what I will say is that I don't think her character was set up for us to really like her. I don't think it was written very well in the okay. second movie. And I don't think that there's room in this movie based off of everything that JJ wants to throw at us to try to redeem that. So I personally think it's okay that we did this as much as I'm sad because I don't feel like that actress or that character deserved all the the hate that they received. I I thought that was kind of crappy.
0: Yeah. I I think the reality is this, this really, if you were going to, if you were going to go back and, and redo this movie, you would either go back and make it two movies or you would cut a bunch of shit out and make it a single movie. There's just way too much in here, in my opinion, to make this a, a two, two and a half hour. I'm like there's just, yeah. there's just so much that's stuffed in here. It could easily have been in my mind, two movies, but then of course that's not a trilogy, right? Well, um, it
2: should have been yeah. though. It really should have been two movies. Like, I mean, obviously the last Harry Potter book got split into two movies, right? So there's yeah. no reason in the world. I I thought I read something on this and I don't remember what it was, but there was a conscious decision not to make this into two movies. And that to me absolutely blows me away because not only would they have made another billion dollars that they could have put in their pocket, but they could have actually taken the time to tell a cohesive story between yeah. the two movies, right? They could have, they could have had a little background exposition on why the Emperor is back. They could have given Rose a couple extra scenes to redeem the, the shitty character that she was in the last movie. They could have done a lot of things, and they just didn't do it. And I don't understand why. I don't understand why Kathleen Kennedy wanted that. But, you know, it is what it is, and, and this is what we have. Yep, I agree. So we're going to have our last exchange between Ray and Leia. And, and you know, this is a really sweet scene. Daisy Ridley really, really sells this for me, and and you know, as being the last goodbye to Carrie Fisher, which I think is a really nice moment for all Star Wars fans. Then we get our most convenient retcon when <laughs> we we see some creature welding Kylo's mask back together. We cut to that, right? Like, I'm not entirely sure why we're doing this, but I'm going to go with it because it looks really fucking cool. Like, it's it's now all glued back together with this red fluorescent glue that makes it look really cool almost like blood that's that's just glowing off of his mask and and then we're reintroduced to the knights of ren who seemed to be a big deal in the first movie but we never really got anything else so i i'm not sure we we talked about it before but we apparently briefly in the in force awakens uh, we had a cameo by those guys only to be completely abandoned in the last Jedi. So Ryan Johnson didn't want anything to do with these characters. And then they, all of a sudden they look to be accompanying the new su- Supreme leader as he tracks down Ray and, and rain crew stumble upon the festival of ancestors back on Fasana, which happens once every 42 years, which if you do the math is the exact number of years since a new hope, which is kind of a cool little Easter egg there. We get some cool imagery as the natives dance in the celebration, and our heroes uh, start looking around for clues. And then Kylo FaceTimes her and, and grabs the necklace from Ray, which she got from a native, to somehow use that to figure out where she was, which was a very quick way of pushing the story, story forward, which you know we're going to see a lot of that. Our heroes are stopped by stormtroopers before a masked man with a crossbow saves them and takes them to shelter only to find out that it's none other than fan favorite Lando Calrissian. And, you know, I love this. I, I think it's a heartwarming moment between all these characters and Lando, especially Chewie, uh, when he, you know, they have their little moment there. And I, all my original trilogy feels are are blazing at this point. And I don't know. I mean, what did you feel about Lando's return? Did, did Did you like it? Was it sort of, did it sort of seem like a consolation prize? Or were you really kind of digging what they were doing here?
0: I feel like I've been giving you a lot of non-answers tonight, but both. Yes, I was, I was really digging it. I, I thought this was an appropriate spot for Lando to be in. I think this is about... this, this Billy D. Williams here in this film did about as much as I think he could probably do. I still think the appropriate spot would have been for him to be the codebreaker in The Last Jedi. But if, the, if that isn't the case, I'm actually good with this. Up until we get to the very end, I actually really love how they treated Lando here. And, and I thought he did a great job. And you're right, all, all the feels when it comes to uh, the original trilogy stuff, I, I was, I'm glad they didn't, but I was kind of surprised they didn't do a where's Han, you know, Han, Chewie, Lando yeah. kind of thing. I'm glad they didn't, but I, but I thought that that might come. But no, I, I I enjoy this. I will say, I I didn't until this movie. I didn't get the true importance of the Force time with with Ray and Kylo and the fact that he could think, you know, do the 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 Freddy Krueger Dream Warrior thing and grab something <laughs> right and, and and bring it out. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, I like, like that. Like they, Good like pull. they showed it. They showed it in the last movie where he had like moisture on his glove but i didn't i didn't i didn't really put two and two together that he could actually there was a physical component to that until this scene right here where he grabbed where he grabbed the necklace or whatever the beads or whatever it was so i thought i thought that was cool i don't know if i was the only one that that hadn't kind of picked up on that there was actually a physical they were transferring stuff you know via the force uh, but but it was cool i think the, the way they they kind of really hammered that home here
2: yeah i agree And then lando actually gives us a little exposition about the sith wayfinder that an old jedi hunter ochi of bestoon had a clue uh, which him and luke were actually searching for and his ship was apparently left somewhere in the desert on Pasana. so we then hear the screams of these these TIE fighters. And that was super quick, by the way. Like it took all of six seconds for Kylo to figure out where they were and send a fleet of TIE fighters their way as our heroes are trying to escape. And Lando brings back the, I've got a bad feeling about this, which is great. I love that because it was not uttered in, in The Last Jedi. Uh, one of the many things I've, that I feel no, like The Last Jedi no. broke tradition. The, uh, the, the other thing was the Wilhelm screen. If you uh, are familiar with that specific sound effect, uh, mm-hmm. if, you, if you Google it and you look it up, you'll notice that it's a very famous uh, old school sound effect where somebody is screaming and you will hear it in every single Star Wars movie, uh, except for uh, the, uh, the eighth movie. Actually, I don't know if they brought it back to this one. I could be wrong, but I thought they did, but I, I'm not sure. But Lando brings back, I've, I've got a bad feeling about this. Escaping in the speeders, the First Order follows them in a pretty fun chase scene reminiscent of the old pod race, and we see stormtroopers flying around, and they're gunned down fortuitously right by uh, Ochi's ship, and they land in the quicksand, and Finn decides at that moment, for reasons that are undetermined, that he has to tell Rey something, and it's going to be super important. I don't know what we were supposed to think that this was, but you know we're never actually going to get this spelled out for us, but I think we're we're going to get a lot of hints as we go through. but you know we'll get to that later because it doesn't really become an important plot point, but under the sand, they search for the caverns and they find OG or, or at least what's left of him, and his speeder, which just happens to have a sith hood ornament for reasons I don't understand. <laughs> Uh, and a knife that has the inscription containing the location of the wayfinder, which three PO can read, but he won't speak it out loud because it's written in the language of the Sith, which he's not allowed to verbally translate. What? Okay, so... What the fuck? So, as, as some people would say, lots to unpack here. So, yeah, the... Um, so they find Ochi under the sand, and they find this dagger which they don't know how or why at this point but it will tell them where the other wayfinder is now why there's a dagger that acts as a map uh man there's a lot of crap here that i really don't like but whatever you know i'm going with it there's some there's some fun stuff going on so i don't know i guess i'm pushing forward are you like what do you think yeah
0: are you like wcf here or what a, a a little bit yes the you know so the the back back to the the speeder chase they showed a lot of this stuff i believe in one of the trailers and this was probably one of the probably the the one of the only comedic scenes in here where you know they fly they fly they fly you know like that kind of thing and it was just it was just kind of silly. It wasn't as bad as the mom jokes from yeah. The Last Jedi. But it, was, yeah. but it was close. But it was close. It was cheesy. And, and then they get, you know, they're under the sand. And, and Finn is going to tell her either I love you or I'm a Jedi or I'm a Jedi and I love you. Or I don't, whatever. Right. Reasons. I mean, it doesn't matter. You know, the, the only redeeming thing in here is there's some kind of quippy back and forth between between Finn and Poe, which I really like, you know, they've got this again, the dagger thing is, is, it's just silly. The, The fact that we're, we're supposed to believe that Luke was looking for this guy and this band of idiots can just randomly happen upon him, but the Jedi Master Luke couldn't find it. Like, come on! I mean, it's yeah. just—it's—we're it, oh, it, it's, going it, to get to even
2: dumber stuff when it comes yeah, to this dagger I, and this. Oh,
0: yeah, the, yeah, the 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 the, Go- the Goonie dagger is is what I refer. It's, oh, it's I ridiculous. like
2: that. That's good. The Goonie yeah, dagger. Yeah. The one-eyed really you know, but, dagger.
0: Yeah, it's just again, it, it it's contrivance on top of contrivance. Mm. I, and yes, I, I'm going with it, but but I'll be honest with you. At this point in the movie, I'm kind of I'm kind of like, eh. the,
1: the, yeah. the, the, hey,
0: danger, Will Robinson. Like we 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 might be in trouble. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's not it's not nearly as bad as the as the the the, the, the PETA scene on Cantobite with the with the horses that we're supposed to love, but it's but it's close, right? It's it's yeah. it's still not a slow speed chase running out of gas. But this 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 section here is now they redeem it here very quickly, but this section here is is pre- bad. Is, yeah. is bad. Yeah, bad. Yeah, I right.
1: agree.
2: I agree. Now we're interrupted by a giant underground snake, which does little of anything but to just give Ray an opportunity to, to show off her new force power, which is healing. Uh, we haven't really seen that specifically in this saga so far explained as transferring her life energy, her life energy from her to the snake. So to be fair, you know, it, it doesn't do anything here, but it really sets up what we're going to see in, in the final chapter of this movie. Uh, and then the Knights of Ren are combing the desert, as I have in my notes here, a baseballs la space <laughs> Spaceballs. I mean, it's literally, they're fucking combing the desert. I mean, it, we they were walking we around. shit. <laughs> if they were walking around with a giant plastic hair pick, it wouldn't surprise me. But it's some really beautiful aerial shots, I will say that, of Kylo and, and the Knights of Ren. And then we've seen what we saw in the very first trailer that came out uh, when is being chased by what we now know is Kylo's fighter and manages to just jump and hurdle over it, which is just a gorgeous scene. And then she slices one of the wings and it causes them to crash, but somehow not die because that thing completely, uh, it takes like 600 revolutions before it finally... Uh, craps out uh, and it's a stunning visual. I mean, it's, it's really gorgeous. Maybe one of the best ones in the whole movie where they do that slow motion thing where she jumps over that ship. It's really cool. Uh, And then Chewie's kidnapped by the Knights of Ren and taken prisoner in this ship. And Ray tries to like, so the ship launches, right. And it's going out into space and she's trying to hold it with the force. I'm not really sure what the ultimate goal from her was supposed to be. And then Kylo, of course, emerges from the wreckage and challenges her. And Ray pushes so hard that she inadvertently shoots this familiar looking force lightning from her fingertips and destroys the ship, you know, quote unquote, killing Chewie. And at this point, we're going to get what I consider to be the first example of some very, we'll call it vegan storytelling, right? There's no stakes at all. They basically say that they're going to kill Chewie. And then they, of course, eventually don't. But like, did you think he was dead? Did you think that they killed Chewy at this point? I did.
0: I actually did. The did first you? time I saw it, I, the first time I saw it, I was like, "Oh shit, they just killed Chewy."
2: And how did you feel uh, about that decision? It's
0: a, it's a good question. You know what? It, 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 even though my my nickname is Chewy, he's he's has never been one of my like top two or three characters. You know what I mean? Like like. I was I was bummed, but I was like, oh, like there there are stakes in this movie, right? <laughs> to to use your analogy, right? I, I think pretty quickly, uh, you know, we're we're told that that it that it wasn't real, and I was actually I was I was kind of bummed that they that they undid it, not because I wanted Chewie to die, but I I was like, oh, like th- they didn't go for it, they didn't really do. Yeah. here's the best here's the best analogy i can make so in avengers endgame there's a scene where after spoiler alert everybody comes back through the portals and thanos is raining down hellfire and immediately all of the like dr dr no guys like put up their force fields right and we're like oh shit well nobody's gonna die right and, and that was the, that was like the best it just it kind of took away the the importance of that scene right like I like I was I was ready to be like oh wow like Ray is dealing with the dark side she's got lightning she's trying to fight with it and 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 the the byproduct of her fighting with herself was she killed Chewie like there's a there's a good story in there right like oh my god like like the, the evil took over and now I have to reconcile with the fact that I killed my friend and I killed, like there's there's really good storytelling there. And for reasons, they just, they didn't do it. So right. that's a really long way to answer your question, but. No,
2: I, I agree completely because my biggest pet peeve, I think of, of this movie is that they try to tell us that Ray is really struggling with being good versus bad, but I don't ever feel that. And if she had actually killed Chewie, you know, obviously unintentionally, then there would have been a lot more at stake there with her potentially yep. swinging to the dark side. And the fact that it never actually happened sort of just made it like a, it just made it not important. You know, yeah, there, there, disappointing. And,
0: yeah, and I'm sure we're going to talk about, it, but there's a scene later in the movie where you see the, the quote, evil Ray, right? Well, you, you, based on this scene, you know, it's not real. It's just a vision or it's a, in fact, I even think they put that in the trailer. Right. And we were, and as soon as we saw it in the trailer, we're like, yeah, it's just a vision or it's a dream or whatever. Right. And, and, and again, because of this, the choice that they made here. And again, I'm not advocating that they kill Chewie, but it it just would have been a very different scene and a very different rest of the movie if they had gone that route.
2: I think they should have. I'll be honest. I think that they should have done something a little bit more brave than what they did. They didn't really take any chances with anything in this story. And that's disappointing as much as I don't want to see Chewie die. I think that it would have held more weight and would have yeah. been more conflict if they would have actually pulled that trigger, but, but they didn't. So Chewie and the dagger are now gone. Three people reminds them he has the location of the wayfinder in his memory, but it can only be obtained by finding a hacker so Poe takes them to Kajimi, which is yet another planet in this movie so we've we've got you know (laughs) three planets in very short succession and uh, where he knows somebody and then we meet uh, Dio who is a skittish new robot that's voiced by J.J. Abrams himself which I I don't know And, and in retrospect there's probably no reason to even bring that up because that character is not really worth anything but Kojimi is a cool-looking city made mostly of stone in the middle of snowfall. Poe is able to find an old flame Zuri who takes him to see Babu Frick, Uh, but the Knights of Ren have tailed them to this point, so they are aware of what's going on. Then we get a very fleeting cameo by the maestro himself, John Williams, for those of you who are paying close attention, who appears in his first Star Wars movie as a local bartender. And if you watch this Uh, The behind the scenes for this movie, there's a really cool story about how he is. uh, J.J. surrounded him with 51 different trinkets around the bar that he's bartending. And every one of those trinkets represent one of the Oscar nominations because John Williams at that point had earned 51 Oscar nominations. So there's like there's one little uh, trinket up there, which is like the barrels from Jaws. There's another one, which is E.T. ship. There's something from Close Encounters, every movie that he had ever been nominated for. There was a little trinket behind the bar for that, and of course, this movie would end up being his 52nd Academy Award nomination, which he unfortunately would not win for, Uh, but, you know, got to give love to John Williams at every opportunity. And then we cut to uh, C-3PO. He's all of a sudden, he's all wired up uh, with Babu Frick and company, and they tell us that they're going to have to wipe his memory in order to get the Sith translation. And then I feel like we get, honestly, one of the most heartfelt and genuine moments from C-3PO in the entire saga when he says that he's taking one last look at his friends. And, and, and this may be the greatest moment that they give C-3PO in this entire saga. Like, I, I think this is a really good thing. And they, they do a really solid justice to C-3PO, more so than R2-D2 in this entire series by, by making him more relevant in this movie than I think ever before
0: this scene right here is my absolute favorite c-3po scene period paragraph end of story not just this movie not just this trilogy ever c-3po yeah it's the one time where he is not the protocol droid that speaks six million languages he's finally he's not human, but he's like, he's, he is, he has recognized and he has internalized all of the experiences that he has had. And these are my friends and I'm saying goodbye to them because I'm putting the quote mission above myself. And and maybe I'm reading way too much into that, but. I, I don't particularly like C-3PO as a character. He's he's a little bit too used car salesman to me. He's a little yeah, bit too sure. prim and proper and just kind of got to stick up his ass all the time. And I understand that's, that's that's the way he's written, right? I don't particularly care for that character. Right here, like I get all the feels and it's, yeah. And it's great.
2: Yeah, I think my only... My only hesitation in this scene is that I wish it was with somebody from the original trilogy, because I think it needs to be, yes. I don't feel yeah. like he has as much currency with these new characters, because if you're, if you're trying to, to parse this out chronologically, he's only known them for, what, a couple months at this point? Like, it hasn't been very long, so him having yeah. these, these feels for these characters isn't really there. Like, if Luke had been a part of this party or, or whatever, then I think it would have been more impactful. But ultimately I recognize that they're giving 3PO a moment, which they didn't have to do. And they did. And I, I liked it. I thought it was really good. Yep. I agree.
0: Yeah. Would have been uh, most perfect, most perfect. Uh, if it was R2, if R2 was here. Yeah. Uh, but I, but I agree.
2: So Zorian and Poe have this moment where 3PO is all wired up and, and she shows them this medallion that will allow access to the first order landing blocks, which, you know, this is going to come back. It's, it's, pretty heavy handed that this is going to return. And Ray remembers she starts having these flashbacks of Ochi's ship being the one that took her parents away, which is kind of interesting. And then 3PO's translation eventually tells them that the Wayfinder is on a moon in the Endor system while Rey's destroyer uh, shows up, or excuse me, Kylo Ren's destroyer shows up out of nowhere. And Rey can feel the presence of Chewie and they hatch a plan to go rescue him, which will require the, uh, the new medallion. That Zuri just gave them. So again, contrivance after contrivance. But I'm going with it. I'm having fun. While they're on the ship, they split up, and Ray goes to Kylo's quarters to get the dagger, while uh, Poe and Finn look for Chewie, and they they find him, and then mow over a handful of stormtroopers before they get captured. Ray gets the dagger, but not before Kylo force times her again, and they square off. But he doesn't know where she is, which is really interesting, and he takes the opportunity to reveal to her that. Her parents were, in fact, somebody, or, or they were nobody, but this was all Palpatine's doing. And we're gonna, we're gonna get more from that. So Kylo finds out uh, after a, a few lightsaber swings that she's on the ship, and he's like, "Okay, hold on, I'll be right there," and starts to make his way that direction. And then, and then Hux takes our heroes to execute them, but then reveals himself as the spy that sets them free, which I think is a really interesting twist. I don't know how I feel about it, but I I guess, you know, Hux doesn't get much love in this movie and and he's about to get a lot less love in the upcoming scene, but everyone comes together in the dock where the Falcon escapes while uh, Ray and and Kylo Ren square off face to face, which is where we find out officially that she is a Palpatine and that they are a dyad in the force. And I'm curious to know where you are with this as far as, you know, this being the reveal and what are we supposed to think about what the hell a dyad is and where
0: this is going? Yeah, so, so I'm, I'm kind of, at this point, I'm kind of of two, two minds. Right after The Last Jedi, there was still an awful lot of talk about who is Rey and what is her parentage and what is her lineage. Like there, there was always, there was always, conversation swirling around who who is Ray? is is she a Kenobi is she a Skywalker is she a Palpatine is she a this that and the other thing um I I was pretty convinced um let me let me say this I wasn't surprised when it was revealed that Ray was a Palpatine like that that was kind of my that was that was my theory I didn't really know why or you know what have you but, but that was that was kind of my theory um so i wasn't surprised at that and i'm and i also wasn't upset with that um i'm i'm glad she wasn't a skywalker i think it would have been too too contrived within the star wars universe for her to be a skywalker i i still think it would have been really kind of cool if she was a kenobi but um but whatever the the concept of a dyad to me still doesn't make a whole lot of sense, even several years later. It's unfair is the best way I can describe it, right? It's They are this thing that we didn't know about that can like win everything. You know what I mean? It's like, It's almost as if you're playing a video game and on the last level you find, oh, there's this thing over here that all I had to do the whole time is get this and then I win, right? It's like this ultimate weapon that you didn't even know about until you're 17 hours through the game right and that's that's kind of what this movie feels like is it feels like a video game where you're just going from level to level and you're yes. finding new stuff along the way oh i'm in the sand planet and oh hey look i found the dagger and then oh i'm on the ice planet and oh look i found the wayfinder and oh i'm it's just like over and over again it's the, they just keep introdu oh you've got to go to the forest moon of endor and you've mm-hmm. got to find the the second wayfinder and oh just like it's it just continues to happen, and again, I'm willing to go with it because I'm such a huge uber Star Wars nerd, but I'll be honest with you, if you're not a Star Wars fan, watching this movie, I would be like, I'm out, fuck it, like, like what's next? I'm going to find the great lightsaber that kills everything, and, you know what I mean, like that I've never even heard of, like yeah. that's kind of what it feels like
2: it's not great storytelling and I can't tell if it's because there's just too much to retcon or if they're just trying to fast forward through this whole thing, but they're clearly hoping that they will be able to play to the older audience, I think, and, and get them to forgive them for for some of these obnoxious sins that they're, and they're not done with them yet. There's going to be more to come for sure.
0: No, but, but and here's the problem, right? The problem is, and I can understand that they're they're clearly playing to us. and and that like that's fine. I get it. we're the we're the people that are paying the ticket prices for us and our kids and this, that and the other thing. But like think about if you were watching this through the lens of somebody that didn't have eight movies worth of backstory, oh, yeah. twenty seven book and twenty seven books worth of reading and one hundred and fifty episodes of comics and and clone Wars, like and just all of that stuff. Like I, I look about like through my wife's eyes, right? All my wife has been accustomed to or, or, or looked at from a Star Wars perspective is like the first seven movies, eight movies, right? She would look at this and be like, what the fuck is going on? Who are, who are all these people? You know, Henry Jones, right? Who, you know, it, like, yeah, it's just, it's yeah. when you when you build a contrivance on top of another one, and then throw in a character that you've never heard of, and then introduce two or three new force powers that we've never heard of before, yeah. the, the, ru- the rules are just out the window. That's the problem with this movie.
2: Yeah, and unfortunately, we're not done. For the time being, Ray escapes on the Falcon in a really cool scene where uh, she jumps out into space to grab onto the Falcon. It looks really cool. I don't know how practical it is. but uh, And then we get a very quick scene with General Pride, who is our new bad guy of this movie, uh, who sniffs out Hux and basically shoots him and kills him, and, and so ends Hux. That's the uh, the end of him. And then the Falcon lands rather roughly on the unnamed Kef Beer, I think is what I looked, what I found when I looked it up. K E F B I R. Maybe that's something back. I, I don't know what that is. It, they have dumb names here. But we get a, a really nice visual of the remnants of the second Death Star, and and that's you know I remember seeing that in the very first trailer that came out and i was just like wow i can't even imagine where they're going to go with this but then in one of the absolute worst contrivances in the entire saga ray uses this this knife the the markings on the blade to to line up and point right where the wayfinder is and i all i'm thinking this whole time is holy shit this is so terrible because they don't know where they're supposed to stand but they have these markings on this thing that is supposed to Literally, just like you said, the, the Goonies, right? The One-Eyed Willy thing, where they have that medallion that sort of they can line everything up. It's a it's a visual marker, and in order for the visual marker to be effective, they have to be in the right place. And there was no they were they were on a whole new planet or moon or whatever the hell it was. Oh God, it was so bad that they just sort of magically found. I get that they need to push it along, but shit, they could have found a better way to do it, or they just they could have just dropped. It a line of dialogue that says stand on the highest point of this mountain or something like that. And they could have, they could have done this better, but they
1: just got lazy. Well, they
0: did. Well, they did. And the, and the problem that I have with this is they didn't need to like, they literally could have had the message that three PO said, you know, translated, they could have said, Oh, the, the Sith wayfinder was on, was in the emperor's throne room on the death star done like, Okay. Yeah. Now I know, now I know where I'm going. Right. Oh, Oh, that's convenient. Did that, the Death Star fell onto Endor. Oh, now I know where it is. Yeah. Like, you don't need the dagger. You don't need to go under the sand. You don't need the sil Like you don't need any of that stuff. And again, it's like, yes, they were lazy, but they were almost, they were lazy when they didn't need to be like, they could have been less lazy mm-hmm. and told us a better story.
2: So then Rey disappears and she makes her way to the Death Star uh, via a skimmer over some very, very rough waters and eventually uncovers a secret passage when she gets to the Death Star. So she finds her way to the throne room, which I think is really interesting. But I will say that for me personally, like I didn't recognize the throne room. I, I don't know if the throne room itself wasn't a very iconic visual spectacle, but when she got there, like I didn't, I didn't get overwhelmed with, oh my God, she's on the Death Star. Like it just didn't. It didn't feel like that to me visually I don't know if you felt the same way or if if...
0: yeah you know I I think it was it was almost it was it was in such a degree of disrepair that it was difficult to recognize Mm -hmm. and I think the other thing that was going on was the throne room in Jedi was all it was very dark it was lit it was in space so it was all very dark and this was very light, right? Wow. There was a lot of light yeah. outside, and that's so it was—it was, was just—it was just really difficult to be like, oh, that's the same room, but we just—we just happened to be in the daylight. I mean, I, I think if it was dark in in that scene, and if it was set against space as opposed to set against the the water and the and the brightness uh, that was that Endor moon, I think it would have been a little bit easier to figure out, oh here's where i am and again if it was if it was less destroyed than it was
2: so she gets there she gets to the throne room and she uncovers the secret passage which leads her to a brief encounter with evil ray uh repeating some of the beats from dagobah and the butthole cave on the sneeze planet (laughs) those are my notes anyways (laughs) um She grabs the Wayfinder, then gets pushed out and and drops it, only to see it picked up by Kylo Ren. And he crushes it in his hands, causing her to go into this blind rage, which starts a really beautiful lightsaber fight. Like, this this scene is really good. I think that they do a good job of pitting the two of them against each other at the height of their powers. And then we kind of cut back and forth from that to Leia, who suddenly appears to be very weak. And then Maz Kanata, who again, hasn't had anything to do since the first movie. Back from her trade dispute in in The Last Jedi gives us some really sloppy exposition that says she's gonna use all her strength that she has left to contact Kylo. And okay, that's cool. I don't think we needed to be clobbered with that, but Rey and Kylo take their uh, laser sword battle to the outside where a really great fight ensues. It's gorgeous. Like this thing with all the water flying around, I think it's really awesome. And we see uh, Kylo getting the best of Rey. I mean, he's completely manhandling her. And then right before the final blow, Leia calls his name from afar, distracting him just long enough for Rey to impale him with his own blade. So He drops his saber and she grabs it and stabs him with it. And with this moment, you know, we see Princess Leia release her final breath and and she dies right in front of R2-T2. And it's it's definitely... uh, a bit of a heart-wrenching moment. I think we all sort of knew something like this was coming, but when it happens, it's kind of crazy. Uh, but instead of finishing the job, Ray just uses the force to, to heal Kylo and bring him back to life, which is again follow-up to the uh, the snake thing from the cave on Pisana. And then she retreats to her ship and flies away, you know, leaving the rest behind. And, and I'm I'm a little confused by this move and, and what comes next, just because I feel like it's really uneven. But you know, Leia passes away. She dies, and, and the Resistance are, is mourning her passing, which is really the only time in the whole trilogy we get a proper goodbye, I think. And I think we got a good one here. And Chewie, you know, he breaks down and he, he screams, and, and I feel like it's really befitting to that relationship. And I almost feel like that's a bit of a mea culpa for, for his lack of anything with Han or, or Luke, for that matter. And then we cut really quickly back to the Death Star, where, where Kylo is you know, staring off into the distance. And then we hear, in my opinion, the most chill bump inducing words when we hear, hey kid, and Kylo turns around to see his father Hansolo for for the last time. And, you know, I guess, first of all, it's a little weird because it, it comes in the form of a memory. It's not a Force ghost, it's really more of a memory and, and clearly a, a different kind of contrivance, which is the kind to get Harrison Ford back in this film. But I mean, I just, I love it. I think it's great. And I, I cannot even think of it without getting the chills. And I, I'm wondering how you feel about, th- I, I know how you feel about this, but I'm going to give you your chance to, uh, to just jizz all over it because it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic
0: scene. It is, yeah. Th- th- this is one of the scenes that I mentioned where I get goosebumps every time I think about it or every time I see it. There are, we've talked about them. There are numerous contrivances in this film this is one that i do not care about and i fully recognize that i do not care about it because i am the absolute target market and target audience for this particular film and this particular scene yeah. and i do and i do not care even a little bit i understand that that Hun, that harrison ford wanted to go out in jedi he wanted to go you know like and they, and they killed him you know Relatively unceremoniously, yes. I mean, it was a, it was a big scene, but it was uh, you know, it was um, eh, I, that's not true. I guess that's not true. He, it's not like he went out like Boba. <laughs> you know, he did, he didn't he he did make the fatal flaw of like walking onto a catwalk in Star Wars, which you can huh? never fucking do. Yeah, we covered but, that bullshit. Um, right, right. This was Han's opportunity to talk to his son. Right. Th- this was the opportunity for him to. I guess it's it, it's it's not even Han's. It's it's our opportunity to say goodbye to Han Solo in a way that we really didn't get to in in the in the last movie or or when he died, and and yeah, I mean it's again I fully I recognize and I capitulate that that this might not be solid all around storytelling, but I, but in this instance, I just don't care. It is it's two I, really iconic characters coming together and, and giving us a scene that it's great. It's it's great. And you know what? And, and again, I, I don't know. We talked a little bit about Harrison Ford in, in our previous episodes about, you know, does he care about this stuff? I, I think it's it was pretty clear that like when he put on that that jacket and the blaster, he was back as Han Solo, right? And he, yes. in my mind, he clearly is here as well. Granted, it's one scene probably took him a day to film it. But like, he's either a really good actor or he took the opportunity to finally say goodbye to that character, which, you know, arguably is his greatest character. You know, between him and Indiana Jones, right? But he took the opportunity and he took it seriously. He's only got, what, two or three, four lines of dialogue. But it was, it was really, really special to this 44-year-old parent of three who grew up with Star Wars.
2: So you made a really, really great point that I didn't even think of, which is this was sort of our opportunity to say goodbye to Han Solo, right? Because we didn't really get that in the first movie. And, and there was there was no recognition for that from any of the characters after that point. So that's that's reason number one, that this scene is arguably one of the most important scenes in the movie. The second reason, in my opinion, is that, Han Solo was brought back, you know, not just to parade Harrison Ford back on the screen one more time, but because Kylo Ren's father needed to give him forgiveness so that the audience would believe that his journey back to being Ben Solo would be valid, right? Because there's no way we're going to forgive Kylo for killing his father, who happens to be the most beloved character in the entire saga, right? Like, there's nothing we could do to ever forgive him. But if Han Solo says that we have to forgive him, then we will follow Han Solo's lead. And even if Han Solo is a a goofy bullshit memory, we don't care, right? Like Harrison Ford shows up, he tells us we're supposed to forgive Kylo and we do. And that that sort of separates Kylo from Darth Vader, right? Like Darth Vader went back and killed a bunch of, he murdered a bunch of children, right? It's kind of hard to kind of put all those pieces back together and forgive him for what he did. But if Han Solo comes back in ghost form and tells us, the audience that we have to forgive Kylo then we do and and we will and we have and that is the only reason we're going to buy the third act of this movie is because Harrison Ford came back and told us to do that and that's why this scene is most important and I alluded to that when we did our Force Awakens podcast that that this scene was really really important for a lot of reasons or or at least a couple of reasons this is the biggest one in my opinion we don't believe Kylo's journey back to Ben Solo until Harrison Ford tells us it's okay to do so.
0: You're right. I never thought there would be a way, and I'm going to tip my hand a little bit. And I think I've I've mentioned it. I love the journey that Kylo Ren slash Ben Solo goes on over these three journeys or over these three movies. I think ultimately he's probably one of the best characters in the sequel trilogy. I don't know that I've ever been able to articulate it nearly as well as you just did in terms of this is Han letting me know it's okay to like Ben Solo. It's okay to like Kylo Ren.
1: Yeah. Huge, um, huge point
0: there. It, it, it is. It, it absolutely is because, you know, if you go back in the archives of our podcast, Han Solo is my, my all time favorite Star Wars character. And the, the fact that, a character let alone his son killed my favorite character should preclude me from ever liking that character kylo ren mm-hmm. and yet i do and you're right it's be- it's because han told me that it was okay in so many words and and now from here on out in the rest of the movie and again i'm going to tip my hand again the rest of this movie and again there's some still con- some contrivances and still some some fuckery going on but from here on <laughs> from here on out I'm all in so yeah. awesome. like I'm, I'm okay. Hey, you know what? Kylo took that lightsaber. He tossed it away. Han said it was okay. Clearly Kylo is, we don't know he's going to be Ben, but he's, he's a good guy now, or he's, he's at least kind of turned the corner. Uh, and I just got goosebumps again, talking about it. We're off to the races for the third act.
2: Yeah. And, and of course, in true Han Solo fashion, right before Ben has a chance to apologize for what he did to his father, Harrison Ford just looks at him with that iconic look and that iconic quote and says, I know. And, and I think that that's the greatest thing, right? Like you just uh, repeat that beat from Empire Strikes Back and it's just, yeah. it's glorious. I never want that moment to end, but I'm so glad that it did. And then it's this little beautiful, wonderful self-contained moment. And then General Pride meets with the uh, the hologram of Palpatine where he is beckoned to Exegol. And there's this line, you know, that Pride says, as I served you in the old wars, I serve you now. And I'm, I'm wondering this whole time, like, was he in the first movie or was he in the first trilogy? And that would be that would be a series of books that I would probably read. I don't think yeah. he was. Uh, or if he was, he wasn't on screen. The actor wasn't part of that. But I, I have to think that the the character was in some way. But
0: but again, th- this is where I come back to. Okay, so all of these thousands of troops have been under the ice for thirty years, just like mm-hmm. waiting. That 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 like that's where my mind goes. It's like what what have you been doing since you served me in the old wars? That that's where <laughs> my my mind is. Right. Right. It's like you've been fucking hanging around. I don't I don't get it.
2: Yeah. So Kajimi is then blown up uh, by a ship from from a single ship from Exegol, which, you know, I'm here I am thinking, why are you only sending one and how many do you actually need and what are you waiting for? But Poe has a, a very intimate moment with Leia, uh, w- with Leia's body, I should say, when Lando comes in and gives a much needed pep talk. And, and man, at this point, I'm like, I wanted more of Lando like that moment. I thought was a great. Yeah, moment. I, I thought that it Lando was. really sold. Oh gosh, he was he was sort of the glue that kind of brought things back together, and it made me think, Jesus Christ, why did we wait until this movie to get these guys back together? Like, well, we should well, see Luke well, you know, and Han and Leia and Lando yeah. all on the screen at the same time. I mean,
1: and and Lando's an honorable mention,
2: yeah. but he needs to be here.
0: Well, he does, but but here's the thing lando's the the only og character left in these movies with with the with the exception of the droids and they're not even really in it either yeah he's the only one that's left and so that's why he's kind of that he's that glue that's holding everything together he's you know everybody else is dead at this point
2: yeah so speaking of dead og characters we see ray retreating to act two and uh, burning her only mode of transport, and and I had a big problem with this scene just because I couldn't figure out the motivation. Like I didn't, I didn't get from where she thought she had killed Kylo, but then of course she she healed him, to being like I can't deal with this anymore. I'm just going off the grid. I'm gonna be the next Luke Skywalker, and uh, and so she goes to Act Two and she's burning her ship, and she, you know, I don't know it, is there any other reasonable explanation for this cameo for for her being here other than to give us the Luke Skywalker cameo? And I, now, granted, I love the Luke Skywalker cameo. I think we all knew we were going to get one. But Jesus Christ! Even after he's dead, he's still stuck on this fucking sneeze planet, man. Like, what, what did he do to deserve this? He cannot get a break. <laughs>
0: That's hilarious. So yeah, even even as a ghost, he's stuck on this island is drinking milk out of the teat of some dinosaur right uh, so i so so yes all jokes aside i agree with you it's a big leap for ray to go from where she was to here but the only the only but that it will offer there is if you think about the quote training that she received which as we talked about in a previous podcast was like two days worth of Luke yelling at her and Mm. and going about his day and eating fish and drinking milk and whatever. This is what she knows of the Jedi, right? The only thing that she knows is when the go and get tough, the tough retreat to a desert deserted Island where nobody else is around. Right. So Mm. I guess that's the, that's the only. That's interesting. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's, that's her version of the Jedi. Yeah. Her version of the Jedi is, is a, is a pussified version of Luke where I'm going to retreat to this Island. Right. It's not the Jedi that we know. Yeah. Right. So, so we're looking at her as being um, abnormal, but again, through her lens, this is what she knows. Again, I'm not trying to make excuses But I guess I kind of got it a little bit more maybe than you did.
2: I understand why they did it. What I don't agree with was the execution. Like, it just didn't feel natural. Like, from the scene where she left uh, Endor to the point where she got there, she's already burning a ship. And I just didn't, like, there was a big transition there that I just didn't follow, I guess, from, from my own perspective. I think the decision makes sense. They just cut to it so quickly that I, it, it was not gradual enough that I really followed it. But you know, you, you saw this look on Mark Hamill's face when he said, "Jedi's weapon deserves more respect." Then you could just see him grinning ear to ear, almost like he was like, "Fuck you, Ryan Johnson! Like, <laughs> how dare you make me toss that lightsaber over my shoulder? Like that—that that was a dumb way to handle that whole thing."
0: Yeah, I, I think there's 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 a lot of and this is going to sound weird, but there, there's a lot of Mark Hamill coming out in Luke Skywalker here that we didn't necessarily get in, yeah. in the last in the in his last two portrayals, right? His, obviously, his first his first portrayal was just like a you know eight second cameo. He didn't say yeah. a word, and then the and then the second movie. And I I read and again I don't know where I read it, but I read an account that suggested that. Luke, uh, Mark Hamill did not know that they were going to kill Luke Skywalker at the end of The Last Jedi. I don't know whether that's true or not, but like if you look at the footage, it's entirely possible that he might not have known.
2: <laughs> I think right? it's urban legend. I think that I that think was so, cleverly I think so cut too. together footage. But yeah, I mean, there I was... Think so too. Yeah. yeah. but I saw I that too.
0: You. Yeah, but I would agree with you that, yeah, like when he says that line about about a jedi's weapon you're right that's not luke skywalker talking that's mark hamill talking yeah again, in in my opinion
2: yeah i agree and then luke talks her out of you know giving up the fight and he gives her leia's lightsaber we get this this flashback that you talked about earlier where uh leia and luke are, are training with each other that was really neat i, I don't know if the digital effects were 100 percent convincing but i thought they did a pretty good job with it but then she pulls a crusty wayfinder out of the ship that she just got done burning down, but realizes she can't get off the island. And that is, of course, when uh, we get the the ultimate Luke redemption scene where he pulls his own X-Wing out of the water with a real shit eaten grin smile on his face while he uh, he moves it. And of course, we get the na, 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 Empire Strikes Back score. Uh, from John Williams. And uh, it's it's a great moment. I, I really like it. It's a bit ridiculous. I think it's goofy. And, and I hate to keep saying the word contrived, but it feels very contrived just to let Luke have his five second moment in this movie. But I, I really loved it. I thought it was great. I thought it was cool that they even managed to work in you know, it, it was interesting because, like, the X-wing thing was teased in the Last Jedi, and you're like, "Well, how how the fuck are they going to use that?" Like, that's that's really weird. And then I thought that J.J. Abrams came up with a really great way to do that.
0: I didn't realize that I would be so geek to see Red Five, but I I yes. was. And, yes. And and right and and yes, it might have been a bit contrived, but this one, I was, I was hundred percent okay with right it was just like oh she needs a ship hey look there's a ship it happened to be under the water and oh it's a coincidence that you know he couldn't do it on Dagobah and now he can that he's a Jedi master and he's Mm -hmm. he's dead whatever but um yeah I I was I was okay with this one for sure
2: so we then cut to C-3PO who gets his memory restored because apparently nobody realized that there was uh you know backups in the future uh, data protection backups. <laughs> Apparently, he had commvault and, and uh, R two had the same uh, agent on his system. I don't know.
1: It's it's.
2: Are there any stakes in this movie? I don't know. Chewie's dead. No. Now he's not. C three PO gets his memory erased. Nah, just kidding. You know, there's just a lot of back. The Emperor died. Well, no, not really. There's a lot of that in this movie. But the uh, the Resistance receives a transmission from Luke's X wing, which is actually Ray showing them how to get to Exegol, which is kind of a cool touch. We then get the exposition about the navigation tower, which is what apparently is required for all the final order ships, the final order, very clever, to get out of Exegol. So our heroes put together a a plan, a a very unlikely difficult plan to destroy it, along with all the planet killing ships. And, And Lando's job is to go off and get help, which seems very unlikely because, I'm sorry, did the same exact fucking plan fail in the last movie where they all asked for help and nobody came? And that was Leia. Yeah. I mean, people are going to help Leia. Who's going to help Lando? Who the hell they knows don't who give Lando a
1: shit
0: is? about. They don't give a shit about Lando at all. So okay, so just so I'm clear here, there's several hundred slash thousand Imperial ships or Ish. Final Order ships that have been under the ice or in the clouds or wherever they were for. 30 or 40 years mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: with a full staff and they don't they, they don't know how to get out of where they are until right now.
2: I think like, they do. I just think they're waiting for some reason. And I'm, I, I'm not clear on what that reason is.
0: Okay, n- neither am I because again, to your point earlier, they took one ship out and they blew up a planet. And again, at the end of Last Jedi, there's like seven rebels left just I, th- th- this is where you just go braveheart and you just like storm the, the beach right and you just kill everybody
1: yes I, I,
2: and i have okay. the solution for that which i will okay i will unveil in our epilogue but we'll
1: okay get there. okay this
2: okay. is I, I will i will rewrite this on a very high level to tell you the reason that i think that they should have done this but we'll get there okay so Rey arrives on Exegol. She, she finds her way with the Wayfinder to that planet. And with the Resistance close behind and what looks to be a hopeless endeavor, Finn then uses the Force.
1: That's not how the Force works.
2: Uh, to determine where the navigational signal is really coming from, which is the lead Star Destroyer. So they proceed to land a ground crew on the ship to take out the tower. Why couldn't they... Do this via a ship. Why do they need a ground crew? I'm not entirely sure, other than it makes for a really cool scene in the movie. Ray finally gets there. She she confronts Granddaddy Palpatine and uh he invites her to take the throne. And, you know, I at this point I'm still sort of, I'm never conflicted about whether she's going to do it or not. Like I always know she's going to be the good guy. I don't ever really get the sense that she's being legitimately pulled to the dark side. I don't know how you feel about that
0: no there, there's there's absolutely zero tension here in this scene about whether or not she's going to choose the light or the dark. There's clearly tension about whether she's going to live but no I, I don't think there's any there's any doubt that she is going to lie or deceive or whatever palpatine or just go at him guns blazing no I, I don't think there's 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 no at least in my mind, there was no, there was never any decision that she needed to make. Like she had already made her decision when she came there. Yeah. I'm the good guy. And, and, and you know what? I I think she was, she was fully prepared to die. Right. I I don't know that she even necessarily thought, Oh, I this is a battle that I could win. Mm -hmm. She was, she was prepared to go down fighting and be a quote unquote Jedi, like my father before me. Right. Even though we don't know who her father is. Right. I mean, she, she was she was ready to stand up and be a Jedi and and take the fall regardless.
2: Yeah, which sort of salts that whole previous scene with the evil ray and all that stuff like it uh, doesn't seem like there was yeah. even a point to that at this at this juncture. But we then learn that the emperor wants her to kill him so that his essence will pass into her you uh, and they will yeah. become one like ugh, that, hmm, that's kind of gross. Uh, yeah,
0: this 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 is where it gets, again, we we've used the word a lot, contrivances, right? But it's like he, here's what bums me out. It, it bums me out when we learn about new powers or we learn about new rules or we learn about new things that at this point we're we're eight and a half movies in
1: mm-hmm. and we're
0: just now learning about dyads and new powers, and I'm gonna bring you back to life if your essence comes into me it, it's kind of like in the harry potter with the elder wand right it's like yeah. for me like th- that didn't hold as much weight because i didn't know about what the elder wand was until the right. third movie right if, if if that had been introduced to me in movie number one and that was like a MacGuffin, quote-unquote that they were chasing for 17 movies oh well now it's got stakes but if you just introduce it to me at the very end oh hey it's a diet okay well what the fuck's a diet i don't know what that is yeah Oh, you've got this you've got this essence. I'm going to rebuild the emperor. Oh, okay. I guess that's that's it's, my problem that
1: I have here.
2: It's clearly a storytelling device and you know, I don't have any problem with them introducing new powers or new dimensions to the powers that the Jedi have, but when they do it obnoxiously just to kind of cram it into the story to make something work, it it just doesn't feel very good. So, Finn manages to take the navigational signal down with a really cool ground assault as the resistance start awaiting their backup. And then the emperor starts talking to a legion of Sith people who I didn't even realize were in a very large crowd. Like it was really weird the way it was it was so dark and the way that it was shot that I think they could have done that differently and made it look much cooler. Uh, but we get a very Jedi-like, uh, Return of the Jedi-like flashback where he literally says, strike me down as she watches her friends get blown out of the sky, like this is a direct lift from Return of the Jedi. Yep. And then we see a, a reimagined Ben Solo show up and work his way, her direction to, uh, to help. And then we hear a, a, a really nice major chord version of his theme, uh, another brilliant stroke from the maestro John Williams himself, since we haven't really talked about him much throughout this, uh, this series. And then he comes up against the Knights of Ren. You know, how did that happen? Why are they on Exegol and... <laughs> how is he he's already immediately sort of seemingly outman, which is interesting uh but you know whatever so so ray draws her saber as she approaches palpatine and then puts it behind her head as if to strike only it mysteriously disappears and find its way to kylo so you know he gives a very han solo appropriate shrug and uh, goes to work on his old war buddies which is sort of a continuation of the theme that those two can talk to each other and matter can pass back and forth between that conversation you know it was water in return uh, excuse me in the last jedi and then uh, earlier in this movie you know we saw we saw more of that with the environment getting destroyed right like when they were fighting uh between his ship and kajimi when when he swung his lightsaber and it destroyed this this artifact on his ship and that's how he was able to see it so we we sort of get the graduation of that whole theme where she actually is able to transport her lightsaber to him and he's able to, uh, to fight off the Knights of Ren, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. It, it,
0: yeah. It was a good payoff. Um, again, I, I didn't really figure it out in the last movie with the moisture. Uh, it really kind of hit home here with the beads and yeah, th- th- this was a cool, again, I, I've, I've talked about kind of how silly I think the concept of a quote dyad is, but this is one scene here where it's 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 really cool. To your point, I don't know why the Knights of Ren are here; they haven't really been super flushed out at all. But this is a really cool scene where Ben just like takes them all down by himself, and it and it really starts to show the the connection, or really hammers home the connection between Ray. And Kylo, one kind of cool thing is after Han Solo shows up, I don't think Ben has a line of dialogue in the rest of the movie. I think he other has than one word, like, "ow" or something like that. Yeah, where he, like hits the thing. He says, you know, that's it. Yeah. yeah, but he doesn't. But he doesn't say anything for the rest of the movie, which I think is, you know, I don't know if it was by design. It probably was by design, but I think that's kind of cool. I think it's
2: kind of cool. I'm not really sure why they decided to do that, but. I mean, it works like I I don't miss anything from any dialogue there. I think that he was there to help her uh, and that that moment really works. Ray then in front of Palpatine draws Leia's lightsaber out and starts uh, being attacked by the emperor's red guards. (laughs) So every every movie seems like the bad guy has these red guards that uh, protect them and, and these are called the sovereign protectors apparently. Uh, but they're red, you know, that's, that's really all that matters. And, um, you you know, I guess my question is, you know, here, here's a weird sort of, let me just toss this out there and maybe this is goofy, but at the beginning of the scene, Palpatine is like, strike me down, kill me. And then when she's like, no, then why are the guards now trying to kill her? Like he, he was trying to get her to kill him. Right. And now when she's like, no, that's not cool. I don't want to do that. Like now she's being attacked by his guards. Like, doesn't he want her to kill him? Like, why is there a conflict here other than for the purpose of having a conflict?
0: Yeah, I think it's it, it defaults back to bad guy, bad, good girl, good. Right. right. It's like, I, I mean, I, I have nothing. You're, you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right. But I, I have nothing else to ask he's like kill yes. me
2: kill me and she's like no and then she's like okay now i'm gonna kill you and then they're like no
0: you can't do that <laughs> it doesn't make any right. sense yeah yeah no it does it doesn't i i don't know Maybe may, again you know a- as we're introducing new powers and dyads and kill me in essence and this that and the other thing maybe like if she doesn't want to kill him then it won't work I, again i don't know I'm, yeah I'm making maybe up on the fly. but yeah, palpatine
2: has not figured out that they are a dyad yet. That, that's coming that's up true. here really soon. That's uh, ben and Ray do meet up to square off against Palpatine together when he inadvertently absorbs their life force and figures out that they are a dyad. And apparently uh, the power of two restores the one. This is another nasty contrivance. You keep using the word.
1: I don't think it means
2: what you think it means. But I like it because it, it actually... So, you know, you described the Emperor at the beginning of the movie as sort of being this this weird, decrepit version of himself. And it's really, it's sort of a zombified version of him. And he was, you know, he didn't have any skin on his bones and it was really kind of gross to look at. But then he zaps their power and then becomes basically the emperor that we all know and love.
0: This contrivance, I'm good with. Yeah, I, I agree. This, this one, again, we've talked about it a hundred times. Contrivance after contrivance, but this one fits and I'm okay with it.
2: We cut back to space as we see the fighters converge, and and unfortunately, we see Snap Wexley, uh, which might be the coolest name of the whole trilogy. He he's dispatched. He was uh, uh, one of the characters from from some of the J.J. Abrams shows, and Poe begins to lose all hope until he hears the familiar voice of Lando come through on his comms and turns around to see an armada of ships, you know, backing him up. And all I can think of is where the hell were these a-holes in The Last Jedi? You know, are we to believe that Lando (laughs) could recruit a galaxy of Rebels, but Leia couldn't? I mean, you know, who cares? Lando comes through and it's a fun moment, but it's just sort of one of those, like, what what the hell happened here?
0: I will agree with that, but this is the second scene that gives me goosebumps every time I see it. When when I see and I think it was even in the trailer, which I fucking hate that Star Wars does this. They like, they ruin some of the most iconic scenes of their movies by putting stuff in the trailer. Like they did that with Darth Maul and Phantom Menace. They did Mm -hmm. a bunch of stuff, right. With the, with the reveal of the double-sided lightsaber, they shouldn't have done it, but whatever. But when, when you see the Falcon come in here and kind of, you know, kind of come into the middle of the screen with, and then all of those ships come out of light speed this uh, again, I'm all in. I'm standing. I'm cheering in the theater on opening night. My kids are looking at me like, "What are you like? What are you doing, Dad?" <laughs> and I, I, do, I don't even care. You know, th- this is this is Lando at his best. He's 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 saved the day. He's he, he's done what he needed to do. He's done what, to your point, what Leia couldn't do in the last movie. But he's got people. He's got the the Armada to back them up. And now it's game on.
2: Yeah, it's cool, if not kind of a rip off of Avengers Endgame, right? Like I'm pretty sure Lando 100%. said on your left and uh, here comes everybody else.
0: hundred. But I don't
2: care. Yeah. I do right. not care. I mean, right. Marvel has done a lot of things better than Star Wars. Let's just be honest about this, despite our, our love for the Star Wars universe. Like Marvel has perfected a lot of things, but this was a great moment. It was really fun. We get a lot of fun cameos, the first being uh, the return of Wedge, Wedge Antilles, uh, played again by Dennis Lawson, who is the real life uncle of one Ewan McGregor, also known awesome. as Obi-Wan Kenobi, That's small awesome. world, uh, as well as the Ghost, which was the ship that uh, Ezra Bridger and crew uh, flew around in, in the Star Wars show Rebels, which if nobody's watched that, it's a really good show. It takes a little while to get moving, but it's, it's really solid. Palpatine emerges from the smoke with a new outfit and a new lease on life. And I don't really care how dumb it is at this point because he looks cool and he's badass and he's getting ready to just unleash all holy hell. Uh, And then he force pushes Ben Solo down a cavern uh, before turning his sights to the skies where he sends this electrical storm of epic proportions up to destroy uh, the efforts of the resistance. And then we get this callback from the beginning of the movie where Ray is is pleading with the Jedi to to be with me. And uh, this time they actually answered the call. And we get the impressive list of Jedi voice cameos, which will include the following. Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker. Olivia Diabo as Luminara. uh, Ashley Eckstein, who voiced Ahsoka Tano in both Rebels and the Clone Wars. uh, Jennifer Hale, who is Aayla Sakura. Samuel L. Jackson is Mace Windu, Ewan McGregor is Alec Guinness, Frank Oz is Yoda, Angelique Perrin, who I don't really know her, Adi Gallia from the Clone Wars, uh, Freddie Prince Jr., who uh, voiced Kanan Jarrus in the Rebels show, Liam Neeson is Qui-Gon Jinn. Uh, but curiously absent from this group is Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia. I thought that was really weird. Her voice was not heard in this group. And granted she wasn't there to record dialogue but certainly there was some line of something that she could have contributed to i was really curious that she wasn't there
0: i actually have never even considered that until just now but you're right i'm sure there's some line of dialogue about hope or this that and the other thing that they could have yeah. put together and no i i i agree you're right she
2: has her lightsaber in her hand and we don't hear the voice but not a big deal. I mean, it's, it's a pretty in, impressive group of people that they did get back to, to do some dialogue there. And Ray uses these voices in her head to distract the Emperor from terrorizing her friends as she approaches him with a lightsaber and Ben's lightsaber, blocking his Force lightning and turning it back on him until he basically gets disintegrated rather unceremoniously. And at the same time, the Resistance takes down the command ship, which requires a last-second rescue once again by uh, the greatest character in these movies, the Millennium Falcon, as they swoop down to rescue Finn and company. And Finn then uh, feels a tremor in the Force because he's now a Jedi or something, and we see Rey unconscious and apparently dead after her confrontation with Darth Sidious. Now, I'm not sure I've realized that she was dead you know going back i guess after repeat watching this i it kind of feels that way but i I didn't get that initially but then ben emerges from the cavern and makes his way to uh, her lifeless body and then uses the force to transfer his life force into hers saving ray but essentially sacrificing himself so i will say one thing that i thought adam driver did a fantastic job with this scene i think he did a great job in the movie but this scene i think he did a really good job selling uh, you know the emotion behind what was happening here, and and then we get this really unexpected kiss, which really sort of took me out of the scene because I, I didn't I didn't ever interpret that there was any sort of romantic tension or anything going
0: on here. I mean, did you get that or um I want to say I don't know. It was weird. But I don't know why it was weird, right? Because I actually did think that they were trying to do like a, a romantic thing there. But then when it happened, I was like, oh, that's that's weird. And like, it's not as weird as Leigh and Luke kissing, but it's weird, right? Yeah. And I don't know why it was weird. Um, it was. So it, yeah, you're right, it, it was. I agree with you that I did not think Ray was dead. I'm not a fan of, and I, I appreciate that they set it up previously in the movie, I'm not a fan of the fact that that Kylo had to die. I appreciate the fact that he, this was his redemption, right? He gave his life for the light side. Yeah, the, I, I can't really describe this, this ending after Palpatine is gone, which I agree with you, he was unceremoniously dispatched and I don't get why these big budget movies can't kill the big bad in a better way i mean Mm -hmm. like thanos literally fades to dust voldemort literally fades to dust palpatine like just kind of melts like they just they just never get the and again i don't know what i'm looking for but they never get the big bad's death right in my opinion it just seems meh you know just kind of very underwhelming i don't know if they've they did this on purpose because there was more to come with Mm -hmm. Kylo and Rey. But yeah, I I wasn't, maybe. These couple minutes after Palpatine died, just didn't, they weren't terrible, but they didn't quite hit all that well for me.
2: Yeah, I can see that. So we see the final order falling out of space and many toasted pieces as our heroes make their way out of Exegol. And we get shots of Bespin and Endor, which features a Wicked cameo, which is fun, and uh, even Jakku and our heroes get together back on their home base to celebrate as uh, J.J. retcons one of the all-time greatest Star Wars mistakes by finally giving Chewie his medal, uh, which was the the medal that Han had from A New Hope. You know, it's a nice reunion of old and new, and, you know, I suppose uh, it feels a little anticlimactic, but at the same time, know the the scene is really nice and and it's good to see Chewie get his due. But instead of rolling to the fanfare, we we see Ray head to Tatooine of all places. And specifically, she finds her way to Luke's old home, which I thought was really cool and interesting. And I wasn't sure where they were going with this when I was watching this, but we see her do a little exploring, perhaps in an effort to remind us of who she was before this journey began, right? So she gets on this little slide and goes down, uh, goes down the sand and everything. And it really, they played the same music, the same John Williams theme that he wrote for Ray, And it sort of took us back to when she was scavenging back on Jakku. And she then wraps up Luke and Leia's lightsabers and and buries them into the ground and then pulls out her own. And we get our first look at the, uh, uh, the very first yellow lightsaber, which looks to be double-bladed. I can't tell, but it looks like it is. And that would make sense because she's been carrying that staff for most of the movie. And, you know, this this whole scene may seem a bit superfluous, but, you know, it did evoke a lot of emotion for me. And I just wonder if you're sort of appreciating this the same way I do, because I I think the most important thing here is that they, they end this movie with her looking off into the distance, sort of the same way that, that Luke did when he began his journey. So this was her sort of ending her journey bookending when Luke began his journey back in a new hope. And, and I don't know, maybe I'm a sucker for it, but I really like this scene. I thought it was great.
0: I agree. I, I think the scene is great. I was under the impression that her lightsaber was used pieces of her staff. Mm. To, to build her lightsaber. I don't know if that's re- correct or confirmed or whatever. I, I would agree. I would imagine it would be a bu- double-bladed saber just because she's been using the staff. But no, I, I think this was great. The fact that they they brought back those musical cues from when she was kind of sliding down the ad ad or whatever it was on, on Jakku, mm. it felt, and this is the wrong word for it, but it felt juvenile. It felt like Ray was younger. It felt it brought her back to a innocence um, in yes, in innocent time. And I think that's what that theme to me evokes. No, I, I thought this was really cool. I, I don't know if this is actually the same set. Probably not. It's been forty some years, but but it, but it was cool to revisit that. I'll be honest with you. I was kind of bummed to see her bury those two lightsabers. But like, what else are you going to do with them? Sure. Um, but no, I I thought it was cool, and 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 I and the way that the the movie ends with that that piece of dialogue, I think is is really really, especially for what we have kind of harped on over and over. The target audience for this movie, uh, you know, people in their forties that have grown up with these movies. The the way this movie ends, and the answer that she gives to the question of, you know, what's your name, I think mm. just kind of really hits us right in the feels, right? That's yeah. that's, that's what this is, has been all about.
2: And then of course we
0: look off into the distance and we see
2: the forest ghosts of both Luke Skywalker and, and Princess Leia. And it really, bookends is the, the best sort of verb that I can come up with. Like it really does a nice job of putting a bow on the package of Star Wars, you know, like it really kind of wraps things up very nicely. And, uh, you know, they play the same music and then, of course, it, it goes off into the credits and, uh, you know, and then we have the end of uh, The Rise of Skywalker. And that's that's pretty much it at that point.
1: Yeah, it's it's
0: um, I, I will be honest with you. The opening night when I saw this movie, I stood up, I cheered. I had a variety of, of emotions going through through me. This one felt the end of this movie felt like the end. It felt like the end of not necessarily of Star Wars, but of the era, you know. And, and I think it's it, you know it is. It's the end of the Skywalker saga. I don't think we're I think we're done with Luke's story. I think we're done with Anakin's story. I don't think we're necessarily done with Ray's story. But you know, I, get, I guess the question becomes, you know, is is this a good ending to this trilogy, and does this movie? If you talked about the very beginning, if we're talking about a rubber match, was this a, was this a thumbs up or a thumbs down for this particular movie? And then I guess for the for the overall sequel trilogy.
2: Oh, man, it's kind of tough. I'm not going to lie. It It definitely is far from flawless. And I will say that if I had to come down on it somewhere, I think overall, I'm just glad I got something you know, I'm glad that we got a sequel trilogy, because for a long time, there was no reason to believe that that would ever happen. So I think uh, the fanboy inside of me is going to win the argument and say, yeah, I'm I'm glad they did the sequel trilogy. I'm really disappointed that the second movie was so underwhelming. And the third movie is not a good movie. But I think they did the best that they could with it when you consider that JJ is coming in and Carrie Fisher is dead and Mark Hamill's character of Luke Skywalker has been killed. Like he's got a very limited number of options that he can work with. And I think he did as good of a job as he could. I I think he could have done better. I think the movie could have been shorter. I think you could have cut scenes. I think you could have re-architected some of the storylines a little bit better to make it more sense. Give some of the crappy storylines like Palpatine's return more context, but ultimately There was just something that J.J. knows how to do that Ryan Johnson didn't that that made me say, I don't care how dumb this is. I'm having fun. And that's all I really care about. And and that's when I walked out of this movie. That's sort of and even how many years later, that's sort of where I've landed with this. You know, like I can still rewatch The Rise. I will never probably rewatch The Last Jedi ever again. I have no desire to see that. And it's really hard to sit through. This movie is not much better than the Last Jedi, but it's infinitely more fun. There's just something that I like about being a part of this story.
0: Uh, no, I, I agree, and I, and I think it, it it comes back to, like I said at the beginning, it comes back to the Last Jedi. It's just a boring movie, and it's got a boring premise. And and even if it's not it's not executed very well here, it's not boring. Right, it's it, it. You're not waiting around for stuff to happen. You're literally going from scene to scene to scene to scene to scene. Sometimes to sometimes to the movie's detriment. There's too much, but it's never boring. So let me ask you a question. We have alluded to several times over this over this three movie retrospective around about the Matrix and the the, the original Matrix and the second Matrix and and. I think we, at one point we talked about, you know, that, that second Matrix movie, when we walked out of that movie, we were really kind of waiting to see what the third movie would do to determine what we thought about the second one. Does this movie either positively or negatively affect your feelings on The Last Jedi?
2: I don't think so, just because they seem... Even though it's part of a trilogy, they seem like self-contained movies to me for some reason. So I I guess I don't know why, but no. I mean, I I think the difference here may be the fact that I I kind of like the second Matrix movie. I thought it was really good, or maybe I, I liked half of it and maybe not so much the other half of it but the remainder of the story would depend on how the third story finished it. I didn't like anything about The Last Jedi. I really didn't. And I don't wanna harp on that too much because we certainly took our opportunity to do that. But this movie was sort of a different themed movie. And then it was like, hey, you know, we're just gonna forget everything. It wasn't really trying to tell a continued story. I mean, I guess it kind of did, but it had no qualms about retconning everything that that second movie did. And- I was okay with that because I didn't like much of what the second movie did, even as the third movie didn't do a lot of things great either. But I, I think it is different. And in and, and this case, for reasons that I'm not sure I can properly verbalize, it's it's just, it's better. You know, like this experience got, was better.
0: I'm right there with you. I, I, I get that and that's, that's, that's totally fair. So let's see, a, a, a couple other things. Well, first of all, you, you had mentioned you had an alternate ending. What 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 is what is that alternate what what does that look like in, in the world of pip?
2: Well, so I've I've been thinking about this, and of course I haven't written the screenplay yet. I haven't really worked all this out. But
0: you know, one of my big
2: hangups was this sort of magical clock that was hanging in the background to to try to, you know, set the story and, and give it a time frame and give it the urgency that it needed. And I thought, well, what what would be a better way to do that? And I kept thinking to myself, well, it was kind of boring that Kylo and, or I should say, Ben and Ray joined forces to battle Palpatine together at the end. And I'm like, what if they did that a little bit differently? What if they had, what if, what if Palpatine at the beginning of Rise of Skywalker said, "We will attack." You know, the the rest of the universe is as soon as my final clone has been completed. And that was the that was the thing that was waiting. And then at the end of the movie, when Ben and Ray confront Palpatine out of the shadows, you hear the familiar breathing of Darth Vader. And it turns out that that was the final clone and that that, you know, he comes out of the shadows and Palpatine Palpatine and Ray square off and Vader and Ben Solo square off. Uh, as as Vader's sort of uh his the clone version of him and, and of course you'd have to retcon some other stuff like you'd have to go back and you'd have to really sell the fact that Kylo was really hung up on being the next Darth Vader like they dropped the lines along the way but it should have been more heavy-handed in that respect if they'd been planning this out from the very first movie but how cool would it be to see I mean if you're going to bring Palpatine back why not bring Vader back and and maybe Palpatine brings Vader back as like the perfect clone as, as his next in command. And that's what they were waiting for the whole time is for him to be able to, to finish that or something. I don't know. And then it would, it would have given them both somebody to fight at the end and given Ben a more proper redemption, you know, like I'm going to be Ben solo because I was able to defeat the image of my grandfather or something like that. I, I don't know. I thought that would be kind of a cool idea.
0: No, I, I like that. I, I and, and I mean, let's, let's be honest. I mean, Vader is more, more, machine than man. Right. So it's, it would be relatively easy to, yeah. to figure out a way to get him back or some, some version of him. I, I like that. Um, sure. You know, I think he would, there would probably be, you know, e- even though, even though Palpatine has always been the quote big bad, at least in my mind, he hasn't been the, the most menacing bad sure. guy on screen that's always been Vader. Right. My, or at least the, the, the bad version of Vader. Right. Yeah. Um. So no, I, I like that a lot. I like, I think it would of, have I been a,
2: a better redemption for Kylo. I think it would have been, it would have given him something more to do at the end rather than the fight the Knights of Ren, which was okay. And it was cool, but to, to sort of give him like the ultimate challenge or the ultimate test to sort of prove himself as Ben Solo versus Kylo Ren, maybe Vader could have said, "You know, come join me. I'm your grandfather." And Kylo could have said, "You know, fuck you, dude." And I'm, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. It could have been fun. It could have at least given him a better excuse than yeah. uh, "We're just going to wait 16 hours and then we're going to launch a, a million ships into space." And didn't no, okay. uh, didn't resonate as much. But I don't know. It was just kind of fan fiction uh, rewriting
0: that. But no, that I like that. Okay, so so we we're going on two, not quite two and a half hours. Yeah. Uh, which has been amazing by the way i got two more questions for you
2: all right let's do it and then
0: we can kind of wrap this up okay so if we have talked now for going on six hours about these three movies
1: Mm -hmm.
0: this, this new sequel trilogy if you had to pick one moment or one scene out of these three movies that is the best what is the the best scene in the sequel trilogy.
2: Oh my God. One scene out of the sequel trilogy.
1: Hmm. Man, that's tough. If I'm forced to pick that one scene,
2: I I don't know. This is going to be real tough and I might change my mind, but I think it's when Han Solo and Chewbacca stumble upon the Millennium Falcon again. That's the part in this whole series where I'm just like, bam, like my eyes are wide, I'm engaged, I'm all in this. I'm like, wherever you wanna go, I'm following. Uh, that that scene, I don't know if it was a good scene or if it was just like that moment maybe that was really great for me. I, I really love that. I really loved the reintroduction of Han Solo back into this this series.
0: Okay, okay. No, that's, that's a very fair scene. If I were to choose one scene and again, I, I've talked about the couple of goosebump-inducing scenes in this movie. But believe it or not, I'm going to pick a scene from The Last Jedi, which is ironic, seeing as mm-hmm. it's, it's by far my least favorite of the three. Um, but, the, but the scene where Luke comes out and faces down the entire First Order with a laser sword,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, that that scene to me is... That six or seven minutes is, is just... that that, that's the Jedi master Luke Skywalker. Yes. That I, that I always envisioned. Right. That's the, that's the version of Luke that we got on a little bit in return of the Jedi, a little bit in the Mandalorian, but that's the version of Luke, even though it was a projection of him. Yeah. That's the version of Luke that I was always playing on the playground. Right. That's right. uh, That, that was me. Right. That That was what I had
2: envisioned when I, heard they were making a new star wars trilogy like that's the luke skywalker that i wanted the whole time and we didn't get that version until the very end of the second movie right before his death so yes i agree like that that's a solid choice because he was it was so easy to get wrapped up into what he was doing there and you're like where has this been and why aren't you doing this like all over the place because that would have made for a really
1: great movie
0: Okay, and then, and so the, then the last question is, so that we have ended now the Skywalker saga. We had the original trilogy, which I think are universally, whether you like them or which order you put them in, those are some of the three greatest movies in, in cinema history. We had the prequels, which, yeah, maybe we'll do another retrospective the, the same way we've done here. I don't know, candidly, I don't know that I could sit through six hours of conversation about the prequels but maybe we maybe we'll get there that's fine but and now we've had the sequel trilogy so we've we've told the skywalker saga should we have told the, the skywalker saga should we have had these three movies are they are they good entries into star wars are we better off having them or should we have just ended in 1983 and and quit with return of the jedi
2: Oof, man, that is really tough. Uh, from my perspective, I think it's okay that they continue to tell these stories. Like I ultimately didn't get exactly what I wanted out of everything, but the fact that I had the opportunity to sit in the theater as a 40-something-year-old man, feeling like a seven-year-old kid, that in itself was worth everything that they did. In my opinion, Uh, getting to buy movie tickets, getting to see Star Wars in the theater, getting excited about seeing new stories. I think the experience of that outweighed the the results and some of the sloppy storytelling and exposition and what are they doing with Luke Skywalker and all that stuff. I just really enjoyed getting excited about a movie. And I, I had this epiphany, I think maybe right before The Force Awakens. But maybe probably the last or the rise of skywalker is that this is the most excited i'm ever going to be to see a movie for the rest of my life you know i i had that epiphany and it's probably true because there is no movie franchise that means more to me as a human being than star wars and to see the continuation of that franchise one that we never thought we would ever see was so incredibly scary, but very special and, and sacred to me that, yeah, I mean, in the end, I'm glad they did it. I, I enjoyed it overall. Uh, I think that it was, it was worth all the effort that they made on their side because I, I had a good time.
1: Yeah, I, I, I
0: would, um, I would agree with that. Coming to these movies now as a 40 something year old father of three and being able to sit down and enjoy these movies with my children and my wife who really hadn't seen them. This is gonna sound kind of hokey, but you know, as a father, that's, I've, I've really enjoyed that experience to, to, to um, instill my love of the Star Wars universe and franchise to my kids. Do they love it the way I do? Nope, they don't. Do they enjoy them? Yes, they do. They probably enjoy them because I enjoy them. But but one of the things that I've really I've actually thought long and hard about this is th- this concept of is bad Star Wars better than no Star Wars? And and I've come to the real that absolutely, yes, bad Star Wars is better than no Star Wars. And the reason I say that is because the idea of, quote, bad Star Wars is something different to everybody. Yeah. Just because I think it's bad doesn't mean everybody thinks it's bad, right? I know there's, there's a gang of people out there that love some of the books and some of the comics and some of the shows and, and, and the animated stuff that I don't really care for. But they absolutely love it, right? And who am I to judge what's good or bad or indifferent because if I were to go back and 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 ask my parents, who were in their late 70s and 80s at this point about the original Star Wars trilogy, they could not give two fucks about the original. Like they just <laughs> they don't they just don't care, right? Yeah. And so so I have to really kind of understand that my love of this franchise is my love of this franchise. It's not everybody else's. Yeah. And there are there are other things and other movies and other stories and other periods of the star wars lore that other people care about that i just don't and so yeah yes we're absolutely better off having these movies are they exactly what i would want nope they're not but i'm glad that we got some version of the star wars saga so i'm thrilled that we have it yeah
2: so here's the million dollar question that i wanted to ask do you think we're actually done with star wars do you think it's possible that we will see another sequel or even another sequel trilogy to these movies that will include Ray, Finn and Poe because they say it's the Skywalker saga, but I personally have a hard time believing this is going to be the last time we see any of those three characters, especially Mm -hmm. when you consider that the movies that we just got done talking about for six and a half hours were sequels that happened 40 years after the last one, right? So who's to say in 20, 30 years that they won't try to revisit this again?
0: To answer your first question, no. We are absolutely, I don't think, done with Star Wars. I don't know that it will be any any additions of the Skywalker saga. To your point, these movies were 30 and 40 years after the originals, and oh, by the way, they made a billion dollars a piece. Here's the thing, folks. The mouse, known as Disney, doesn't buy a property like Star Wars and then sit on it. Yes, they've, they have a theme park. But you know what? They're not going to roll out a theme park and spend I don't know how many billions of dollars they spend on the theme park, let alone the property, and then just kind of let it wither and die on the vine they mm-hmm. need to bring they need to bring on board the next generation of star wars fans and the only way they're going to do that is to continue to pump out content whether that's on you know the disney plus network with stuff like the mandalorian or things like the obi-wan kenobi you know those kind of things but they absolutely in my mind are going to continue to make star wars content and i think that now that we're knock on wood beyond covid you're going to start to see movies come back to the forefront and it would not shock me if in the next five or six years you get the announcement of another movie with daisy ridley and you know and and um i'm forgetting their the actors names but th- th- those guys are under contract you're going to see those those three characters poe finn and and ray you're going to see them again
2: in my yeah. opinion oscar isaacs and uh, john boyega Although there was some controversy, I think John Boyega Boyega was not really happy with the way they treated his character in the last movie. I agree with you. I think we will see it. I think we will see more of those stories because we are in a never say never uh, universe when it comes to making these movies. And we know that they're, to your point, they're not going to just sit on this. We know that there's another season of The Mandalorian that's going to come out. They're making an Ahsoka uh, show on Disney+. Plus. There's going to be an Andor show, which is Cassian Andor from Rogue One. He's getting his own show coming out in 2022. Uh, Kenobi is coming out, I think, this year, right? Is it still? I believe it's yeah, going to be out so, yeah. in December. There's a Rogue Squadron movie, which is going to probably time frame be around uh, a New Hope era which is going to be directed by Patty Jenkins, the the lady who did the Wonder Woman movies. So, I mean, they're not sitting on this stuff. It's it's going to keep going. And it's only a matter of time, in my opinion, before they pull Daisy Ridley back in, Oscar Isaacs or John Boyega, and and do another series of movies. Maybe they won't call her Skywalker, or maybe they'll do something different. And of course, uh, you know, our, our original trilogy characters won't be involved, but I'd be shocked if we never saw them again. Like it just it doesn't make any sense to have movies to make that much money. And who knows where Daisy Ridley will be in 20 years or or Oscar Isaacs or any of those guys, you know, there may very well be a, a huge huge push to do that again.
0: Yeah, I agree. So th- this has been enjoyable, my friend. Th- this this is kind of what I was thinking and hoping that this podcast would turn into. When when we started, I'm thrilled that we have spent these last six and a half or seven or whatever it's going to end up being after you do your your post-production wizardry on this. But thank you for taking the time. Have you given any thoughts to what our next kind of retrospective series with these super deep dives could Oof. or should be?
2: Man, I don't know. There's so much content out there if we really want to go into it. I will say that I'm actually looking forward to getting back to our uh, our previous formats, maybe doing a couple top fives here and there and and uh, maybe a six through ten or something like that and talk about some of the other stuff that we love, maybe a little break from the Star Wars universe for a little while. But I could definitely see us getting into uh, some content, probably movie related on some level, just because those are the easy ones to, to take really deep dives in. Or uh, I don't know, maybe we maybe we talk about a WrestleMania in the same sort of format or something like we could get real crazy with it and it's uh, still not lose a tremendous amount of our viewership. <laughs> so uh, you know, who knows what'll happen, but yeah, I mean, I think the sky's the limit and, and I agree, this has been an absolute blast and I've had so much fun and it's a bit exhaustive. It's a little bit of a labor of love, if I'm being honest, but it's been magic the whole time. And uh, I'm really happy to have had the opportunity to
0: do it. All right. Well, thank thank you again, sir. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you, everybody that has listened. Uh, once again, this has been Chewy and my brother, Pip. And this is The 411 from 406. We'll talk to you guys next time. Have a good one. Adios.